Hello everyone and welcome to the Chompcast, the official video game podcast of Sorechomp. Our mission is simple, to discuss the video games we are playing, to discuss all issues surrounding gaming, and to cultivate a community of like-minded people who want to just discuss gaming together. You know, if we as gaming enthusiasts take a long hard look at ourselves, most of us are like pack rats and hoarders. We see physical media that shows off our favorite games and we must have it. It could be a life-size Snorlax plush chair, a Cactar lamp, or an anime character boob mouse pad. We like things. Media. Shinies. Shinies for the precious. When we see them, we must have them. The desire can overpower logic and frugality. The same idea applies to old games. One night, you make the mistake of drunkenly logging onto eBay to check how much it would be to purchase a copy of that one game you loved as a child but lost your original copy to. Suddenly, you feel nausea well up inside of you as you see how much the game goes for now. Why the hell did I have to lose my copy? After you get over the initial wave of vomit, climbing up your digestive tract, you start to wonder to yourself, should I buy this? I think I need this. You wrestle with yourself internally, going a few rounds in the octagon of your brain. Save money. No, buy it, you pussy. No, we don't need it. Yes, we do, asshole. Looking beyond that all-too-familiar scenario, there is a concept that goes beyond owning things just to own them, and that's preservation. Maybe some of you saw an article discussing it this past week, but did you know that over 90% of movies made before 1929 are lost to time due to not having a copy of them? It makes sense when you consider the material used to make that was used to make films, but that does little to dull the loss felt from losing cinematic history. Thankfully, gaming came around much later, allowing us to preserve many more games. But it's still a difficult and touchy topic. So with all of that preamble out of the way, we're going to discuss if preservation is important to gaming, the potential threats to preservation, and more. After that, we will be discussing some video games, such as Assassin's Creed Valhalla Siege of Paris, CrossCode, Cult of the Lamb, Xenoblade Chronicle 2, and Lost in Play. So, let's get to the intros. Are you guys ready? Hello? Yeah, let's Josh? Rich? Anybody? Oh, wait. Hey, Ray. I heard you hey. in there. Hi. Hey. Hey, how's it going? Good. I mean, apparently I could be the only, I was the only one that could be bothered to show up, and I'm not even a normal part of this. I know. Thank God you're here, dude. Or these sweet fans of ours would be listening to me just shouting into the void for two hours. Exactly. Thank God for me. Yeah, I was like, I was legitimately thinking about it, and I, uh, if I couldn't get you, it would have just been me talking to myself about the topic and hey, you i know don't what, know how entertaining that would be jeff jeff gersman <laughs> does that for roughly four hours every tuesday now yeah that's so wild. you know what and it's pretty freaking good is it really y- i haven't y- heard any of it if anyone could carry on a solo show 
It's not you, though. It's Jeff Gersman. So, yeah, yours would be garbage. <laughs> yeah, mine would have been shit. Mine would have been shit. Um, but, no, I'm glad you're here, man. How you been this week? I've been great. I just actually got back from an impromptu trip, up, uh, not even upstate. I live in New York, so we consider upstate anything past New York City. And mm. I went up to New Hampshire and stayed at a nice little mountain lodge and bought some maple syrup. No, it was a good time. Uh, you know, and it appears that, you know, the sore chomp regulars are out to lunch, out to pandemics, out to weddings or whatever it is the fuck they're doing. Mm. Yeah. Whatever the fuck they're doing. I don't know. Yeah lazy fucks Uh, lazy lazy you know like that's that's a crazy thing is um you don't even get quote-unquote paid by sore chomp yet and you're here and those two guys they're gonna get paid and they're not even here yeah they're making the big sword chomp bucks that can only be experienced by the three illustrious members such as yourselves that's right and those sword chomp bunks are Bunks, bucks are and, only ref, uh, usable. And before we get in, before we get into game preservation as a whole, I just want to say though, as a nascent medium, I am most glad more than anything that not only are games easier pre- to preserve, but the things people say online about them are able to be preserved. <laughs> and then we can bring that to their future employers. <laughs> That's a great point too. That's a great point too. Like it's. You know, it's it's funny to think in 2020 all of that review bombing of The Last of Us 2 and, you know, despite all the issues and whatnot people may have about the core game, the ridiculousness of um, people showing their true nature about a fictional story was pretty hilarious. No, I think about this a lot. There's going to be someone that runs for president one day very soon who was a really big original Xbox fan that's going to refer to the PlayStation 2 as a slur Station 2. (laughs) And that will be dug up and brought up in a presidential debate. (laughs) I hope so. I hope there's something like that, where people are bringing up tweets. You know, and we found out in 2015, you said uh, this particular thing, you know, but we're not far off from that. We're really no. not. I'm very like the youngest you have to be in the United States to run for president is 35. So I'm very excited for the horrible shit that's going to be unearthed from like Tumblr posts. That that is the one good thing about like still having a Facebook and having a where it shows you your memories because you can go back and you're like, oh, I said this terrible thing that was more PC 14 years ago let me go ahead and delete that shit from the record right now oh i can say that's the truth of me too because i had facebook (laughs) back when you needed a dot edu email address to have Mm. one and i'll get like this is your memory from 16 years ago i was like 16 years ago i was 21 oh shit i was a terrible person yep yep i'm kind of in the same boat in some ways as well so yeah it's uh (laughs) it's it's interesting to go see how much of a piece of a shit piece of a shit I was at that time and saying some really horrible, not super horrible, but pretty bad things. Oh, no, I'm not. I'm not saying you had like a Confederate flag saying if at first you don't succeed, you secede. But like, you know, we, we're all very stupid. <laughs> I was thinking about like, I, I'm not on. Uh, what is it? What is that? 
Trump platform, Truth. A Truth Media. Social. Yeah, I wasn't on there basically divulging my manifesto days before storming the IRS building. No, well, you I know, mean, n- nothing let, let, that be bad. Honest. There's been a place for years to divulge your manifesto. 4chan's been around forever. <laughs> and it's a uh, weird cousin 8chan. Yeah. You say weird, I say more the culmination of what 4chan wished it was. That's, yeah, that's, that's fair. Wait, hold on a minute. Who is that popping into the camera lens? Park Who is Herald? that I see? What angel sings? Is that? That's Joshua Fowler. Returning. Cri- crikey, everyone. Look at the face of a wild Joshua. <laughs> He's erect. Wait. That's, well, just, they that's, that, that's, that's not him. That, that's me. That's the I'm next patron only exclusive tier. The video <laughs> chat from the waist down. <laughs> only, only the waist down. Yeah. Josh, you're here, buddy. You made it. I think so. <laughs> you're here i mean covid and all you and i broke well i i'm i'm over the hurdle for the most part i have some residual crud but you and i both brought different forms of uh stages of covid i should say to the show this this week mm-hmm. but you made it yeah yeah so so for yeah. those concerned about josh as he talks this week he does he is in the midst of fighting covid he's going to sound a little deeper and sexier than usual it's gonna be sensual yeah and what we do to him is gonna be consensual sometimes ain't nothing sexier (laughs) how you doing i mean like all things considered how you doing um (coughs) better than i have been um i guess Yeah, like, that's like saying I'm at, like, I'm at the got... point where I can sit up again. So that's, you know, improvement. Mm, Josh, I is... need to ask you. Okay, so you have COVID now. Mm-hmm. Didn't you get the memo months ago that the pandemic's over? Yeah, yeah. Um, this seems kind of selfish of you to get COVID now. It really does. Um, it's I, uh, I, I it's don't all about know, me. I don't know what I was thinking. I really, I really should have you know, tried to hold the party line there and, and, and make the CDC and Biden look good. Um, Literally, like, I feel like the day you told us you had COVID was the day the CDC now said, like, you don't need to socially distance anymore. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what? Here at Sword Trump, we're still doing our job of socially distancing. I'm in New York. Joshua, yeah, where are you? North Carolina, Georgia? North Carolina. North Carolina, and Shay is all the way off in Japan. So you know what? We're socially distancing by thousands of miles. We're staying responsible. We don't have to wear a mask because, (laughs) frankly, if one of us coughs, we're just going to get our microphones kind of gross. That's true. It's true. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I... I, uh... I was telling these guys off off camera that after we recorded the show last week, um, literally the next day, I started feeling pretty sick with COVID, and mm. I was out. And uh, fortunately, I was able to get a ton of gaming in because I was sitting at home, 
nursing my symptoms and myself and um I don't know about you, Josh, but I didn't shower for five days straight because I was like, I I don't feel I like I feel shitty like to like get up and like stand and like Yeah. I don't yeah. Um I mean yeah, for just like a regular quick shower, no I, I, it wouldn't be worth it, but um but you know to try to pull my weight against, you know, any corporations killing the planet, a good a good long shower. Is, is is nice during the, I mean I'm never I'm never gonna you know hit those numbers hit those numbers but yeah I'll I'll, <laughs> I'll try my best um but yeah no like the, the hot water to try to open up my head you're you're um, no nice. you're no typical golf course in the U.S. Josh it's true it's true um uh, I see, maybe yeah, if I, I, saw, train. I saw something about <laughs> but I gotta tell you dude after after like five days of feeling like super not super pretty shitty and then finally feeling like i had enough energy besides just like doing the bare minimum to eat food and go to the bathroom like actually get in the shower i had enough energy for that that was one of the greatest showers i've ever taken just like after five days uh Mm -hmm. just well, at the, that point, the crust of like the most of a week must have physically fallen off of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. I was like, "Damn, what is that?" And there's like a half-eaten Dorito just floating yeah, say, down say, into the drain. No, it's just like, it's like, oh, is that what Cheetos look like when they get that wet? <laughs> I didn't Ugh. realize they'd petrify. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Now, it's, now you were saying Shay off camera oh. that you know you've this is your second go around COVID. Yeah. And your vaccine boosted. Now, in Japan, do they have the same brands that we do in, here in America? Like, I know I had my first two doses were Pfizer and my booster was Moderna. Yeah. Uh, so they have versions of Moderna and Pfizer. Like, uh, my, first, my, my first two were uh, Moderna and then my booster was Pfizer. They don't okay, have. So we just went okay. the opposite way. Yeah. I didn't know. Yeah. If, do they do like AstraZeneca yet or like Novavax? I don't think they do that one. I don't think they do those. I'm not sure. Because the U.S. That, there are three is starting to approve those. The U.S. is starting to approve those. Oh, but do you guys also have the J&J vaccine there? No, definitely not that one. We definitely yeah, that one to. seems to be... That one even in the U.S. I read, this is like a couple months ago, was said to only be given as last resort because of actual like heart, like heart problem links. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah that one's whack. So, yeah, Japan was like, nah, we're not going to do that one. And rightfully so. Well, I, I mean, remember just, I just remember, like, I feel like it was months ago I was on with you guys, and you were talking about just how hard it was, like, like lotteries and stuff. Yeah, that was, yeah, last year at around this time, um, maybe, maybe even a little bit earlier than that, it was really tough to even get them, and, like, I was, I was getting antsy, and I really wanted to get mine, and by the time it was time to get mine, I ended up catching COVID. <laughs> Now so. say now say you get approved for a second booster. Is it just as easy in Japan at this point as to you know schedule the local CVS equivalent? And you just walk in like the day of or next day, be like, give me um, a shot. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's almost that easy, pretty much. Yeah, I mean that's what I did for my booster. I I walked mm. into the clinic I usually go visit, and I was like, hey, um, I need to get my booster next week. I'm going to the U.S. to visit. My family and um i need to get that and get 
I had to get something called a vaccination passport in order to get back to Japan from the U.S., which basically is a, an official government document um, showing my record of getting all the vaccines. Yeah. Dude, um, I have to say, the fact that Japan has a literal vaccine passport, that's like a boogeyman in U.S. politics. Oh, yeah. Like, literally sure. that term, vaccine passports. Oh, I can't go to work if I don't... But, like, even the states now, they're rolling back, like, vaccine requirements left and right for, like, college and stuff, so... Yeah, yeah I just saw the other day that, like, they, they've dropped even more, like, like uh, measures and stuff like that. Yeah, so they're, much... they're, they're... Yeah. There are none anymore well, I, in the I U.S. I think we're really moving... We're moving really to the endemic phase, where we're just like, it's here now... We're going to live with it. Whatever happens, happens. Yeah, yeah. You know, and like, you know, I, I have a feeling every year now... It's only 3,000 deaths a week. And we won't I'm even not... remember that. Why, why would anyone remember 3,000 deaths like that was some sort of big event that, you know, one might go to war over, or, you know... For something, 20 years. Something like that. Maybe invade everyone else's, you know, individual liberties. <laughs> <laughs> for, for just 3,000 deaths. I mean, it's only every week. <laughs> jo Josh, are, are, you are you suggesting there's a political dimension to this? No, no. I, in fact, I don't even remember any... <coughs> that must be the code where, why you don't Roughly 3,000 Americans died that, you know, were political in any way. Yeah, that, that, that must Listen, be the COVID. As someone who lives... Under 30 miles away from Manhattan, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I, um, I didn't realize we're going to get into this conversation, so that, I'm going to... There's no, the there's no easy way to steer it out of that, so I'm just going to... Impossible pivot! Yeah, exactly. I'm going to do the impossible and just say, fuck it. That was a funny, interesting conversation, and now we're going to pivot straight to video games. So um, I'm glad you both are here. And by the way, my name is Shay. I will be your host for today's discussion. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I pretty much led with the preamble of the topic at, at the start of the show. It's something that I've been wanting to talk about, and we've kind of danced around in different topics in different episodes, um, the concept of video game preservation. and when I read that article, I started going down a little bit of a rabbit hole. I, I was like, well, what, what does video game preservation entail exactly? And I, I, I learned a lot, um, just in the past 24 hours, even about video game preservation. I, there's still so much more for me to learn about it, but it's a concept that obviously I don't think the younger generations think about too much. Um, the average gaming enthusiast probably doesn't think about too much. And even I think the average person probably doesn't think about too much, but it's a pretty complicated topic. So, um, well, like one thing I kind of want to lead with, like there, there, this conversation has the potential to get a little bit political because it does involve politics in a way, which I was really surprised to see how political this conversation can get. We're not, intentionally trying to be political with this conversation but it might go in that route um, that was for the preamble where we got political that was the intentional one. Oh yeah that one was you the intentional warm one. people up for this that's true um 
it, it, it is a little bit political and it is a lot more complex um, at the end of the day. And we're not going to be able to cover everything regarding this. I actually purposefully want to leave some on the table for when um, I personally have more knowledge and stuff. But I kind of wanted to do just like our personal idea, ideologies and whatnot with game preservation. And it might dip into that territory of um, baseline political discussion and whatnot. So let's just get into it th- uh, straight from that. So usually, Ray, I, I let Rich kind of lead off the beginning of the discussion and kind of give his initial thoughts and whatnot. Um, I'm going to leave that pleasure to you because you're our guest this week. Um, what do you think about gaming preservation? And I'm just going to leave it as broad as possible. For So like you can like take it wherever you want and we'll just go off of you from there. All right. Well, let me just say, I think preservation is incredibly important. And I think that companies have done a piss poor job of handling it on their own so far. And I think that reason alone um, is one of the major reasons why video game piracy is such a big deal today. Because I can tell you right now, um, if Nintendo, for instance, made their games a lot easier to pay for, and for a time it seemed like that they were going to on like the Wii and stuff like that, because everyone had a freaking Wii. And you're able to buy all sorts of classic games. And it was cool. Like, yeah, I give you $8, you give me Wave Race 64. That seems like a fair trade. But they're like one of the most notoriously litigious companies when it comes to software piracy. But then you look at, you know, the current state of affairs of Nintendo Switch Online, and it's still not like up to snuff with what they could be doing. No, I think there's so many facets to preservation, and there's so many legitimate sources. Like, you know, I know you and you were talking over WhatsApp. Uh, we're talking about a uh, video game history foundation. Yes, they're incredibly important. You know, I've been following their work for a long time. Um, as a matter of fact, even last week on the MinMax show, they had Kelsey Lewin on, who is a member of that. She's like one of three people. Um, you know, there's a couple facets. The work that they do to archive the stuff that has existed is huge, including paperwork. Mm. Um, the work even yeah. of retro game stores is a huge deal. And they feel like they've been be- been getting more and more popular lately. Like even where I live in New York, there is one retro game store that was in Levittown called Video Game Trading Post. Mm. They have six mm-hmm. they have rapidly expanded to four locations. Damn. In like yeah. the last year because of how popular they've been. And part of one of their sites is even like a pinball arcade. That's cool. So, you know, they're doing the work even of getting these physical tables and pinball, like, like you know, we talk about like video games in general, pinball is like an offshoot. Pinball is even harder because it's like this physical thing with like levers and gears yeah. and springs. And like, that's what you see even with uh, like arcade preservation. Like, and that's what you see with like South by Southwest. Mm. And even then the quest to preserve video games creates ultra corrupt situations. Like you look what happens with WADA. And, you know, them grading, you know, video games and like this complete in box copy of Mario 64 is worth two million dollars. Bullshit it is. Right. Like, you know, you saw like a year before the same thing was going for, you know, eighty nine thousand dollars. It's like yeah. it, human beings have this collector mentality or it's something I feel like it's developed really since like um, I think baseball cards is probably the first example of this. 
And even then, like our parents' generation, they treat baseball cards like a piece of crap. Like I would put, I put this Mickey Mantle card in my bokes, my bike spokes, and you know, I had no idea it'd be worth two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Right. Yeah. I you know I uh <laughs> like kind of on that topic. I went to a, a hobby store um here in Japan the other day, and I was ex like I was so appalled to see how much some magic cards are worth nowadays. They're like. Like obviously, well, that's black also, black that's lotus a, was something that was super expensive back in the day. But like, there are other cards that are in the hundreds of thousands. I was like, when did that happen? I well, missed that, that. I, that's a byproduct. Yeah, the collector mentality. But it, even Japan, Japan being one of the you know the video game forebearers, hmm. like of the modern video game era, they these mom and pop shops like almost seemed untouched by the internet for a long time so from what i understand i even heard people older than me like they're like in their 40s and stuff oh we used to go to japan and we buy like arcade boards for like garu mark of the wolves and stuff like that it was like dirt cheap mm, mm-hmm. but ever since then these shops are selling their stuff online also so they know worldwide what their stuff is worth so even in japan now like mm-hmm. it's not the like you know unearthing gem like mine it used to be yeah yeah there, there's so many things i want to touch up on that you or uh discuss that you touched upon one of the first things i want to uh, i wanted to go back to the video game history foundation because that's one of the places i discovered um obviously very recently and one of the things that's really cool about that and like other places like that is they're not only just like quote unquote trying to physically preserve games but they're actually doing research um on on gaming and trying to do like think pieces and all sorts of stuff i actually just i spent time yesterday at the coffee shop reading um they did this article it's called pioneer rediscovered the woman who brought female representation to games and they spent a year looking for the uh uh female programmer who did that um and her name is von mai by the way, um, you can look that up if you guys are interested. But they they spent a year um, trying to find this woman just so they mm-hmm. could talk to her about her contribution to video game history. And that's that's like one aspect of that as well. Like as as um, we were joking about how um, before the show, it's not just about game preservation, but uh, the comments people make about games can also be preserved due to the internet. But it's it's kind of like that where it's like it's not just about physically preserving the games themselves but the stories around the games that would be lost to time if people weren't doing this well they're doing that too they're collecting like press releases they're collecting you know they're very again on the min max show last week they're talking about this jeff gerstman donated his bubsy plushie that came out with the release of the game to the video game history foundation Mm. that's cool and, you know, that merch exists basically nowhere because it was just given to media. Right. Yeah, and that's, and like, that's stuff that, like, I think, you know, there are going to be 95% of gamers, maybe a higher number, who don't care about that. But there are going to be people who do care. And the thing is that I was, like, kind of getting into a little bit, like, reading about that I got even more into reading as as I kept you know, finding more about it is that a, a lot of researchers, like it's beneficial for researchers because there are people this, and this is a reality. Now there are a lot of 
um, because gaming has become so mainstream and popular now that there are people doing their master's thesis or their PhDs on researching games and not just about mm-hmm. games themselves, but how it affects communities, how it affects um, m- mental health, all these things. And it helps to have these, not just the games themselves, but these historical accounts of what was happening, of what was popular and how it affected the masses back in the seventies, back in the eighties, back in the nineties. Um, well, you can look where it's today. Like you look at something even newer, like look at it. Okay. So I'm sure we'll talk about this, but like the transience of internet media and especially games they can't physically own. Mm. Look at the game mag massive action game for the PlayStation three. You can't, you cannot play that game anymore. Officially. Yeah. Roughly a decade after that game, not a decade, but maybe like five years after that game servers went down because it was online only game, so it needed to talk to a server. Walmart mm. was still selling the discs for them. So a right. customer could walk in and buy this useless disc. It was mm. more useless than an AOL boot disc. Right. Like they could put in this thing, like, oh, I still have a PlayStation 3. This should work. They put it in, and it's like, oh, no servers exist for this game. Where did you get this relic? right and that's yeah and you're right that's something we're going to talk about in more detail because that that is a part of the conversation too that's um very difficult to consider um uh, josh i want to get you in here um with anything that ray or i have said if you want to jump in on any of that please feel free to or if you want to take it in a different direction um no i think i'll gonna continue with the video game history foundation um One of the things I think they do, you kind of touched on this briefly, um, that I think is really cool, is a lot of the ancillary um, information that they gather. Um, right. St- stuff like, like, like you were mentioning before, tracking down devs to old games because it was not public knowledge in the early days of gaming. Um, who worked on a project um the sort of uh electronics uh industry mm. that you know a lot of video gaming came out of was way more about you know corporate secrets and uh, we've we've got to we've got to keep our yeah you, know, you know CD loading mechanism, a, a corporate secret. We can't let anybody know about this until it hits market. Sort of a right. sort of an idea. Um, like it, that, that was. The, you know, I mean, I, I like, Laserdisc at the time we were talking about this, but you know, it's it's that same idea of we we can't have anybody know who's making these games for us. Um, yeah, it was. It, I mean, it was that, much no, more protected, you, and there was a the lot original. of. Hmm? look at the original credits of like old Mega Man games they're all like a lot of them are given pseudonyms because they were Capcom was terrified yeah. of headhunters yeah yeah um and a lot of old games were like that um it was just more common practice but um I mean it, we wouldn't we wouldn't even know a lot of that stuff had people not gone back and tried to figure it out after the fact now that people are finally able to talk about it freely instead of 
Um, well, to your you know, point, Josh, I feel like the Japanese market, the Japanese development side, has only just started to open up about all that. Yes, That's, way, way too so, recently. It's been so tight. Whereas for years now, we've had books like Masters of Doom. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, we've had, you know, a couple books about like, uh, there's a book about Blizzard North, Stay Wild, Listen. They talk about things very candidly. Yeah. But I feel yeah. like Japanese development, I mean, what is it that the dude who helped make Sonic is going on? I was like, oh, they changed the Michael Jackson music. And he's just flippantly saying that 25 years later. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, I I think like like you like you said a lot of the Western scene was really into um put your name on this um well I think it's a holdover from the movies because if you look at crediting in movies yeah. like movie credits are forever long just like a Ubisoft game whereas. Mm-hmm. You still hear it from Japanese companies, like, or even from American companies too, like translators, QA testers. They're not always named in credits, but I feel yeah. like Western studios do better because I feel like the movie, the Hollywood industry, kind of set the path for that, you know, on its own already. So it's like we're going to emulate that, of course. Yeah. Well, I. But again, I think. In gaming specifically, there was a lot of this in the 80s and 90s with, um, you know, well, well, I made e- a game and no one will ever never know I make it unless this is, like, think of all the Sid Meier's games. Think of, you know. Well, the auteurs, but even. Yeah, the well, but not just the auteurs. Like, it was, it was a bigger push from, it seemed, it's, I, I seemed like a lot of the, um, like, PC hacker community type games or like I'm here's this game here's my name um was it was just a like a it was a bigger push well what is there. it it's the first game uh uh that had like an easter egg adventure and i think the easter mm-hmm. egg was the develop was the programmer's name yeah yeah because atari was notoriously tight-lipped yeah oh, yeah yeah and then e- ea electronic arts was founded on the idea of we are going to give our creators credit. Yeah. That was the, yeah. that was, that was our industry contribution and it was mm-hmm. huge at the time. Right. Yeah. And that's like, it's kind of crazy to think nowadays that it was so tight lipped. It, it's, it's bizarre for us to think that because, you know, it's, it's so commonplace, but that that's, that's the importance of video game preservation, right? Like us knowing that. And it was funny, Josh, when you were saying that I, about uh, Japanese developers and stuff, I couldn't help but think, because I've never talked about this with anybody, um, in hopes that someday I can make it happen, and maybe if I speak it, it will be spoken into existence. But for the the sideshow that I do, Evoking the Sublime, um, I've reached out to many game developers in the past, and um, always want to interview people, and Mm. sometimes I've been thankful enough to get yeses, and Sometimes they get no's, but there are times where I'm like, I want to interview somebody about this game. Hmm. And I go into the rabbit hole of trying to find out how to contact this person and what, like who, who I could contact in order to discuss. And Shining Force, as you know, is one, my favorite game of all time. So mm-hmm. I went down the rabbit hole of trying to get in contact with anybody 
to discuss about that game, and it's tough. I mean, it's an older game. It's the game's almost as old as I am. It's 32 years old at this point. And to find somebody contactable to discuss that game is really fucking tough. And mm. um, th- yeah, it's it's something that people don't think about. Uh, it, you know, like I'm not contacting them trying to get anything from them. I just want to like kind of like a video game preservation type of thing. Discuss um, the game and it's it can be a really difficult thing to find some of that information about those older games well what is but, it uh even like who who are really like the first japanese auteurs we think of like miyamoto koji kondo and yeah. like a lot of like miyamoto's still working but i don't feel like he's really the norm anymore in the yeah. sense that you know he is still like like when the yeah. next mario game is being made he is there talking about it with the development team like i can't feel like that's the norm anymore he is it's been decades and you know to your point like shining force you know shining force got made in like a vacuum i feel like and then they kept on making them and mm. who knows if there's a continuity like for instance um I just watched a video the other day because I needed to spend a day doing some positive internet because I actually spent the entire day before doing negative internet and it affected me in a very real way. There you go. Good Vibes Gaming is a YouTube channel. Mm, they yep. they put out um, an hour and 40 minute video essay about the entire history of Xenoblade starting with Xeno Gears in 1998 and going up to Xenoblade Chronicles 3 that came out like two weeks ago. Mm, damn. Like, it was expansive, it was informative, and you know what, though? For a Japanese outfit to have that much information available, because it actually is pretty available for what, you know, it seems like it's more like common knowledge and not like, oh, we sat down with this developer and got the nitty-gritty, that's still rare. Yeah. I feel like we're still, yeah, it's... We're still a decade mm-hmm. out from seeing the floodgates open. Right, you're right. Another thing you mentioned too is like places that have machines or places to enjoy those games. That's a, something you brought up way earlier, yeah. Ray, that I wanted to discuss on too. Because, for example, I have a buddy um, who he op- he last year he opened up a a shop or a business called Spinnerip, and this is in Montana. That it's a pinball rental company. And like, okay. that's also that... just in general, I gotta say the idea of renting a pinball table. Like if you own like a bar or bowling alley, amazing idea. Or even just yeah, like yeah. birthday parties. Yeah, yeah it's, it is yeah. is really cool. The th- thing to consider too, though, is like how many people can actually fix those machines, which mm-hmm. I'm sure it's a little bit easier now with like YouTube tutorials and stuff like that. But getting actual parts is probably the difficult thing. And that, like that some... is also where video game preservation comes yeah. into play there, too. There's some repro companies, I know, but for instance, um, there's a very big divide between modern pinball machines and old ones. Like, the modern ones really started, like, when I think about it, I think back back when I was a kid going to Nathan's, and they had Star Trek The Next Generation, like, the Addams Family. Mm -hmm. Those were, I think, it's like, Mm -hmm. the first, like, modern tables. But then they had, like, Hank Aaron Baseball that's clearly from, like, the 70s and 60s. And then there's the first era of pinball that were clearly actually gambling machines, which actually a lot of like anti-pinball legislation and like Jersey and stuff like the 1930s and 40s and stuff had to do with gambling. Mm. Yeah. 
you know, they weren't games initially, but even then the first game ones, they're clearly a lot different. And like the difference between like digital displays for scores and then actual like flipper numbers, yeah, like, like the purely mechanical varieties. Yeah, yeah. like I'm doing the hand motion, you know, no one who's going to listen to this podcast will know, but it's, you know, that's hard technology to like, you have to go to specialty companies nowadays. That's like the equivalent of like, I have like a 1940s Volkswagen Beetle and I want to restore the clock in it. So I need to send it to this place in Germany. And it's the yeah. only place around that does it. It costs me $4,000. Like it's not easy. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's yeah, it's 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 insane because like the collector like granted you're still talking about newer things but like the collectors market on even those items has just shot everything up to even try and preserve some of that stuff is insane. We say newer stuff. The 19, the Adams Family cabinet came out like the early 90s. It even now oh, like yeah, but, like, yeah. or like Star Trek the Next Generation where like things yeah, that are like, firing us that's like 1990 like that's yeah. thousands of dollars and then to upkeep that and make sure like the lcds mm-hmm. don't break like that technology is just it's the same thing when we talk about preservation when we talk about like old consoles for instance if you want to play them without like weird hdmi cable hookups you can't yep. buy new crt tvs no one's making new ones of those and every yeah, time someone you kind of cannibal- try to keep them running and every time someone cannibalizes a crt or even back when analog first started making the first analog nts they were cannibalizing NESs. They were mm, using the boards yeah. from NESs. Every time they made a new NT, there was one less NES in the world. That's true. It's kind of it's kind of funny to think about that too. Like twenty, like twenty years, not twenty years. Well, maybe it's twenty. No, it's about fifteen the, years. Yeah, ago they're now. about like ten when, years. Yeah, they've been like doing when that. LCDs and plasma TVs and even LED TVs started becoming a thing. We're all like, oh. What the fuck do we do with these CRT TVs? Think about how many were thrown away. and Yeah, like... just thrown away. Completely usable. Oh, at the side yeah. of every curb in yeah. my neighborhood mm-hmm. for a six, seven year period as they replaced, like, say by the time, you know, HD TVs came about, people normally yeah. had about three or four TVs in the house, right? Right. Mm-hmm. So as they replaced them slowly, every few months you see another CRT out. And you, we didn't think twice about it, but nowadays, I can tell you right now, if I saw a motherfucking neighbor of mine throw out a Sony Trinitron, <laughs> I would scoop that shit up so fucking fast. Yeah. Yep. I don't care how much it weighs, I would buy a fucking forklift to lift it. Like, <laughs> like you, you call know, a moving company, hey, uh, I need this one TV yeah, moved I into call, my I house. I call junk luggers, be like, listen... <laughs> I found a 23-inch TV. It weighs 7,000 pounds. Yeah. I need it so I can play Dreamcast games correctly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's 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 insane to think about that stuff in in a lot of ways that mm-hmm. that 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 has happened, but I like I sent you guys this picture these pictures the other day of I went to this local video game uh retro video game store in my city and i've talked about it a few times on the podcast every time i love going in there because every time i go in there i find new things that i didn't know existed for example there's this ps2 game called shining force neo and is when the when the ser- the shining series shifted from tactics style to a more active 
um, battle action adventure style game. It was like it became an action RPG. And there was a special edition only released in Japan that I didn't know existed. And it was almost $100 and I almost bought it. Um, decided to wait and check online to see if I can find it cheaper than what this guy was selling it for. But um, every time I go into this pla- these places, I always find things I didn't know existed. You know, uh, I sent you guys pictures of the SPs and they're like unopened Pikachu SPs that are selling uh, advanced SPs that are selling for $600 or a Donkey Kong one that's selling for $520. Things like that. You, Dude, you go in and find that's, stuff. And- that's just kitschy shit. Like I just have a P I have a GBA SP 3000 with the improved backlighting yeah. that they did on the micro. And I have one of the basic ones. Like it was like the shimmery blue one. That's yeah. not even what, like, Donkey Kong's face plastered on it. I could sell that for quite a bit of money. I have a copy of Swakodin 2, just a disc, because I was one of those idiots who got rid of my jewel cases in the early 2000s. I'm going to put all my fucking PS1 games in a binder. Yep. yep. You know, like, you know, I could sell my Swakodin collection. I have Swakodin 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5 on disc. Easily, I could just sell as, like, a collection. Be like, and tactics. Be like, you know, alone, like, just and that's not even the special edition shit like you know i saw you were selling stuff with like pikachu on it and i feel like mm. this is whenever like rich is like oh i reached into my crawl space and i pulled out like a hey you pikachu with like you know letter nemo's face with c-man on it yeah <laughs> yeah rich rich truly has like a treasure trove in there that if like he's he was so inclined he could sell he's mentioned it before like what his mother did for a living yeah. Or like he just had like access where people didn't, and you know what? That's that's cool. But you know, I like we also like rare stuff just like happenstance. Like I think uh, one of the common things in the U.S. among the older millennials, like me, I'm a little bit older than you guys. Like I know it's a point of pride whenever I have a uh, black disc PS1 games, uh, black label yeah. rather of like yeah. special stuff. Like I have Symphony of the Night, FF7, Eight, Nine. You know the yeah. the, the Xenogears, the stuff that. Yeah. got that green label you know got that green label after the fact it's yeah like, that greatest hits label yeah it's like yeah. no motherfucker i got the real yeah. one <laughs> speaking of which I kids the, i got the true true you 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 poor you poor poor children you don't you don't know the joys of i mean you kind of do at this point because there are steam sales and the like but it used to be not a sale just period a year after a game came out they dropped the price to like a half or a third of what it used to be I don't yep. think and put it, a, put a new label on it. Like, I here think you go. It was a, I think it was actually a milestone. I think those games had yeah. to sell like a million units or something. Was it that? It was probably uh, it was probably printing related. Like once you yeah, it's probably you know, yeah yeah it's probably related to printing because you know, I can't know, imagine press a certain amount million units. The next time they press it, so it was it was essentially like a first first edition sort of a deal. Um, yeah, first printing, but but yeah, so, but in practice, it was. Uh, that first printing would generally last about that long. So All if right. any of you snobby Gen Zers, you know, oh, I collect first edition of books. I collect first editions of games. Not actively, yep. I just have a bunch of them. Right. Yeah, about half of mine are that, but I didn't, yeah, didn't care about it at the time. Just would grab whatever whenever I wanted to, so. Right. Wasn't, That's... Not, was not a... But, well, you know, is yeah. they're functionally the same generally. Like, unless yes. someone's, like, looking yeah. for, like, Oh, like, you know, uh, 
arcade cabinets did revisions with like Mortal Kombat fatalities because Ed Boon yeah. is a fucking crazy person mm-hmm. where he's like, oh, too many people spread around how to do fatalities. Let's mix them up. So, you know, and then then that creates a crazy collector's market. Like, oh, I have version 1.1 of Mortal Kombat 2. I have version 1.3, which is worth more. Like, yeah. and th- this is the problem with fucking preservation. It only started. The funny thing is when you look at video games, it's been going on forever with revisions. Whereas in movies where video games takes a lot of their cues from, we only got it with the re-release of Cats where they eliminated buttholes. <laughs> right? That's a great point. But, I mean, that's that's one of the things that I think in some ways hampers video game preservation. In some ways, I'm sure it benefits it too. It's like the astronomical pricing that things are selling for now really deters people from preservation, but it also in some ways keeps those copies probably safe in some ways because if you have you have retro games that it, are there's an valuable going for cheap they're just going to be passed around and but also well, not just yeah it deters hardware preservation but software yeah. preservation in the form of emulation it just makes it more widespread yes you know that's I true could, i can tell you right now i could play any number of copy of video games right now that are old Easily. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure so many people listening to this podcast, and I'm sure you guys could too. I'm not going to say how. But you know, well, I, was, I well, you know, we, we are going to say Steam how. Deck, you know it. Well, I, I conjured well, well, we are going to say we, we are going to say how because that that is that is actually I was thinking it was probably going to go in this direction. That is where the legality part of the legality aspect comes in. Emulation. Um well, I can tell you right now. We've, I go ahead. I bought the other day I went ham. I already had Xeno. We're going to get to it games. I've been playing Xenoblade Chronicles 2, whatever. I owned it since it came out. I didn't touch it. It was in my backlog forever. I'm finally getting around to it. Just recently, I acquired a ROM of it. I'm still playing the Switch version, but now there's a part of me that wants to be like, does this run better on the Steam Deck? Yeah. And the answer is probably yep. yes. Um, and since then, I've since bought copies legally on the Switch of Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition and Xenoblade Chronicles mm. 3. And I also tell you, copies of those are very easy to acquire online if you are so inclined. And there's right. a part of me that wants to do like a side by side, like, is this better on the Switch? And the answer is probably no, because it's an underpowered piece of hardware. And I even have the OLED version where it looks nice, but it's, yeah. you know, clock speed. It's not enough to carry on these open worlds. I mean, and let, let's note the first yeah. time I played Xenoblade Chronicles, the original one. I played the 3DS version, which looks like trash. <laughs> yeah, I didn't that play makes the, sense. I didn't play the Wii version, Oof, but also I have a ROM yikes. of it, so if I wanted to play that, I could too. If I right. put a bunch of candles up on my on my computer monitor, mm-hmm. <laughs> you can I've actually get a USB. Uh, oh yeah, no, you know, I know I, yeah, IR a, a sensor, bars pretty pretty bar, cheap, yeah. which which like is the, nice for uh for if you want to do any emulating of. Wii or similar Wii sports. games. Yeah if, you, yeah, if you want to save a horrible party with Wii Sports, but they're the only person mm-hmm. on Earth that didn't own a Wii, like, I got you covered. It's called Dolphin. Yep. <laughs> no, but that's, yeah. that's the thing. It's as hard as hardware emulation is, and as many people are pushing that, with when you look at things like the Mister with its FPGA, anything that analog yep. comes out pre-jailbreak patches, which the Pocket had now as a jailbreak patch... Um, 
software emulation is going to be how the games themselves get to be experienced by a wider audience. Yes. And that's inevitable. And that's even for things, especially for things that can't be played anymore. Like you look at like Fanny Star Online, even Mag. Mm-hmm. Um, and until they took an interest in it, World of Warcraft Classic. If you wanted to play World of Warcraft pre-Cataclysm, they only existed on private servers. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I definitely want to. I definitely want to touch on that as well. One of I want to jump back really quick before we go onto that thread that you're you're going on there. But one of the things is I read this awesome article on Washington Post about video game preservation emulation. And this is an article that was published back in January, and it talked a lot more about the legality of this whole oh, yeah. video game preservation aspect because um, it, you know, obviously emulation is kind of a not so quote unquote legal thing. I mean, it's in a no, no gray I'm, area. Okay, I really am, I'm interrupting you on purpose because I feel the need to put it out. Owning emulators is not illegal. Right. Owning, owning ROMs is not illegal. Right. There are ways to take any of your devices, whether it's CD or cartridge base, and dump the ROMs. That is perfectly yeah. legal. You right. could also dump your own BIOSes for things like a PlayStation, which for a PlayStation mm. emulator, PlayStation 2 emulator, you need a BIOS for the system. If you dump your own BIOS, that is yours. Right. You're good. Is the second you start downloading things from websites that aren't yours that you didn't pay money for, that's when you're running into legal space by a VPN. Yes. Yes. And it's confusing because like we were kind of talking about earlier with um people who are like trying to do research or people who weren't young enough to experience some of the games that we talk about when we go back and talk about retro games there are people that didn't have that luxury. So the way they can experience those games is either to pay an astronomical price to not only get the software, but the hardware as well. And the, like you guys said, the CRT TVs in order to play it, that's one method. Mm -hmm. Second method is emulation, which is like we said, it's in that, in that um, gray area of legality, or you watch old YouTube videos. And you have to hope to God that somebody has a YouTube video of a playthrough of that. And it gets really murky when you get into some of those older games. And especially when it's some of those older games that weren't very well known. How are you going to get somebody who's willing to get the setup to do a playthrough of that? The likelihood of that lessens and lessens the more obscure or the the lesser known that game is. And that then when you think about that, then it kind of brings into view why um, video game preservation becomes a more important topic that should be discussed. If you can't get access to that game because it's there's so few copies made or the copies that still exist are incredibly expensive to the average person, well, then you're relying on either emulation or video content out there existing. And this is not to say that preservation is at the forefront of the mind of anyone when a product is made you know as someone who studies history a lot i have to remind people like we only have about maybe 15 percent of the output of ancient rome when it comes to writing and they wrote on a lot more sturdy things 
you know mm, our yeah. stuff is kind of made to disappear into the ether nowadays oh my like goodness we, yeah so yeah. we're storing it on magnets yes exactly we're storing it on magnets what a great idea we're storing it on flash drives we're storing it on hard drives like this is not safe ways to do things even the generation before us storing things on celluloid film that stuff degrades yeah Mm-hmm. You know, you try popping in a VHS of The Empire Strikes Back, even the 1992 remasters that came out, you pop in Empire Strikes Back, it's going to look kind of fucked up right now if someone had watched it more than 10 times after they bought it. Because that shit degrades. If it wasn't kept in a vacuum seal, like, nothing yeah. we made, like, lasts forever. And even the stuff that people thought would last forever, like I said, like ancient Rome, ancient Greece, stuff stuff carved on stone doesn't last forever. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's crazy. So, like, you've hinted at this a few times, and I wanted to jump into this. You mentioned games like Mag and um, these more online experiences. Now, that is, uh, again, with some of the stuff I was reading, that is a topic or an aspect of video game preservation that um i don't know you would say video game historians are struggling with right now how to capture those iterations because you think about fortnite and what it was four years ago versus what it is now how do you capture that and how do you have a copy of that captured so people can experience if people are interested in going and saying like you know this phenomenon that was fortnite that is fortnite whatever whatever time period you are looking back on fortnite how can they experience what Fortnite was when it first started versus what it became? So you and mean like, Fortnite saved the world, the original version of the game that no one yeah. plays. <laughs> right. It's 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 something that it, like historians the are struggling game with that never materialized. To, right. It's 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 something that they're having a hard time having records of or having abilities to experience them. I guess the records is probably not as difficult of a thing, but it's more of like you were saying, if I want to play wow classic, what it was before all of the updates, all the expansions, that's, that's going to be difficult to preserve that original classic version versus all of the updated versions. There's, this is one of the situations where I really think the, eyewitness account style historical record is much more important. Uh, like you, there, there needs to be, and thankfully ish, uh, there's a whole lot more, you know, streaming and whatnot of online games at this point. So, you know, there'll be VODs. You can, you can go back and find stuff out about it. Mm. Um, but they could perfectly recreate the servers on a given day or whatever and have you drop into a game, and it's not going to be the same thing, because these were so much about, you know, the online community and everything around that, and the preservation, I think, really needs to focus more on the the human side of it. Like, this is this is history, what was going on in, you know, in these games, in this gaming history, at that time, right. um, I mean, you, bring, I, you you have a good point, Josh. And mostly about online games, you're absolutely correct. Like it's time and mm-hmm. place. 
And only yes. like World of Warcraft has tried to address it by releasing classic ish, editions of the ish, games. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, ish. They're they're trying to recreate it, whether or not they can, because people get used to creature comforts, who knows? Like mm-hmm. Fantasy Star Online has private servers and stuff. But even think of like single player retro games that become obliterated from the planet. DSIware. Yeah. That princess on the PS3, which was download only. You know, mm-hmm. these single player games that there's no community around them. There's no like, you know, it's DS eyewear game that 60,000 people played. There's really yeah. no community. And it like, you know, how many people are nostalgic for PlayStation Home for the Vita? Like, is there a private server mm. for PlayStation Home? Can I recreate that? Like, and yeah, anecdotal evidence is important there. The easiest answer to me is to follow the wow model and if like for instance i feel like sega could make some money just selling dedicated servers to fantasy star online yeah 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 and that's that's i'm not saying keep the game up running in perpetuity someone else is paying for it like yeah well you have like specifically oh i mean we already do this with everything else uh you know just server rentals like okay you're paying for a month exactly yeah to to have this again and like we will in order like there's there's still there's still a lot of back end stuff that they need to do but essentially just you know allowing you to license it for a month to be able to to run the thing with you know it's it's interesting it's it's interesting as as a model um no we've already possibility. seen it with like, we've already seen it with the new PlayStation Plus like they announced their new slate of games coming to their new tiers of PlayStation Plus. There's no fucking classics going to it. This mm-hmm. is one of the things that they promised with their upgraded tiers was fucking classics. Hmm. Like this yeah. is not dissuading anyone who's emulating PSP games. Yeah. This is this is converting nobody. Their effort right now is saying to no one, Sony, you're doing it correctly. I'm a Abandoning my pirating with if anything, it's making him doubling down. Be like, you clearly have no fucking idea what you're doing. Yeah, and that's frankly don't feel bad about pirating anything at this point because this like other other than current stuff, like, current and I'm not current gonna, stuff that I'm, you can I'm, still easily buy, especially from any sort of indie dev who's, you know, oh, in, directly yes. publishing this thing. Like it's, it's like if, if you're, if you're pirating shovel Knight, you're a fucking scumbag that games on sale somewhere every other week. Yeah. Well that, and they gave you what? 10 years of content for free with it. Yes. Yeah. Like, where that, it, yeah. Where I, where I say, if for some reason, like for instance, say Xenoblade Chronicles three or Metro, I know Metroid dread. I remember stories about this, like a week after it launched it mm-hmm. was like oh people already pirated it and it's like it runs better on a pc if you happen to come into come into possession of a rom of metro dread yeah maybe buy the game too because you know what unless john cena lives forever we're not going to get 2d metro games forever yeah like, we the, need uh... someone to advocate for them like so you know what even yes. if you come into something in a way that you shouldn't if it's available legally, think of it as a $60 tip for thank you for making this game, putting in the man hours that even if it's not on the most ideal way, yeah. if you find yourself a way to play Metroid Dread on a Steam Deck, 
instead of a Switch. And just pay for the license regardless. Yeah, yeah. The, I mean, and the big thing here is especially with a lot of the older stuff, it's, it's, it is essentially abandonware. This is software there is no legal way to get a copy of. You could buy a, someone else's used copy of it. That's not supporting anyone who made it. That's, you know, you're trading an object at that point. It's, it is a collectible, like we were talking about earlier, which is fine if we want games to be objects like that. But these are the same companies who right now are trying to convince us that, no, you don't own anything. You, that disc is just a license to play the game until we tell you otherwise. Um, mm. Like, they, op- they have no moral high ground to stand on here, is, is my point. Like, they're, they're, they'll make whatever argument is advantageous to them, so fuck them. Like, if, if the only way to get a hold of an older game doesn't give any money to them in the first place, it, like, you should not feel compelled to go track down a $200 copy of something so you feel better about playing, you know, a Super Nintendo game somewhere. If you, if you buy a used copy of Chrono Trigger in English right now, mm-hmm. Squaresoft, not even a company anymore, Square Enix slash Nintendo is not making any money off of it. None. Whatsoever. So you might as well buy the Japanese copy that costs twenty dollars and apply the English language patch to it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Almost at that price, like the two hundred dollar English version, you could almost buy a Super Famicom, buy the Japanese version of it, have it mailed to you, and it almost be cheaper. Almost. I can tell you right now, I have a couple Japanese copies of Super Nintendo games, and yeah. I have a Retron Five, and the Retron Five is garbage. I don't even use it at this point because I have better ways to play these games in English. Yeah. But I have a couple Japanese copies. I have, like, I have Mario Kart, Super Mario All-Stars, mm-hmm. Chrono Trigger. You know, all these very... And work put in by very dedicated people. Chrono Trigger? Yeah. Not a small game to translate. People did the work. Like, they didn't just rip the Nintendo script and put it in. They did their own work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I, like, even those people are doing things for video game preservation oh, yeah. in some yeah. ways. Yeah, well, especially especially, when especially the pirating are, scene because yeah, yeah, a lot of those fan translations that was that was the only way to play several Final Fantasy games in or, the series or, yep. until or, very recently. Or think about like Live Live Alive. Mm-hmm. Live Alive just came out in America just, just yes. for the first time ever. Whereas yeah. there was a whole emulation community, they're probably excited that the game came out. Mm-hmm. Right. Officially, they're probably like fucking finally, but they're like, oh, we played it. And you know what? Those are those who had the disposable income to buy the new copy. Hopefully they did to sort of be like, we played it way back when. Thank you for putting this out now. And HD2D is gorgeous. So hopefully they get to experience that new version of yeah, it. Yeah, it's it's not it's not the same thing as well, which I'm yeah. always torn on because I, I really like just seeing, you know, the game is exactly how they are or how they were but um, even but even but look at subtle changes look yeah. at like the difference between final fantasy 4 in japan and final fantasy 2 in the u.s mm-hmm. we got the easy version yeah 
that had like different you know attributes to it um stuff gets taken out or stuff even gets changed in the art like what is it a siren covered parts of her body because of nintendo censorship rules Mm -hmm. like Mm. you know we get this and, and that's that might sound like nitpicking but when we're coming to things that are art and i think also when it comes down to it i think this is part of the argument yes video games are art Mm-hmm. and are they worthy of preservation they are just as worthy as any number of books movies tv shows novellas stone staleys anything that has been put to consumable media they are just as worthy so like do we deserve to see every version preserved and the answer is probably yes if you want to see siren covered up to show the modesty that nintendo of america required i mean it I think it's worth knowing that that exists, like, historically. I I think you get to a point, like we were talking about, with is every version worth having a copy of? Yes-ish in an archive somewhere, but, like... Well, you just said a funny word, Josh, because something I wanted to bring up is archive. The one thing we haven't talked about is Mm archive.org. Archive.org is probably the vision of the internet as it was originally envisioned right yeah it is this egalitarian repository for human knowledge yes mm-hmm. and that includes stuff that may be protected under copyright like i can tell you right now i've gotten stuff that you're not supposed to get off archive.org i've also seen a lot of things you can get i've gotten books for school classes i've gotten you know libraries have recently not libraries um Book publishers have recently taken fights to archive.org because they yeah. want the rights to distribute stuff in a more capitalistic market. Yeah. And like we see how the internet in those lawsuits, we see really how the internet was hijacked. It was really thought of like yeah. this utopian paradise, and all of a sudden it's like, no, it's for the capitalist pigs. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And that's frankly has less to do with the internet than just our broken ass copyright system in general that this thing was supposed to last for 30 years and we've let these assholes just run the clock out to the point where nothing ever enters public domain anymore because of, you know, letting them extend and extend and extend. Winnie the Pooh is in the public domain and that movie will be horrible, but in the best way. Atrocious, but also... That's the point. Everyone already knows who Winnie the Pooh is. It's absolutely ridiculous to try to act like there's some sort of intellectual property there anymore. Like, no, this character should have been public domain for ages at this point. Mm. For, for absolute ages. The idea that copyright can outlive someone who made something, is abs- it's fucking absurd. No one who worked on all this old stuff is even alive, but the company is, and that cannot be the case. I'm we, not we arguing need against to you at all. Fucking fix this. I agree um, with you wholeheartedly, but I'm just thinking of the idea of copyright and like length as a copyright. Without the length yeah. of copyright, America multiverses would be literally impossible right now. <laughs> well, like super Superman alone, impossible, Batman. except that. They would have to license anyone like, else in the world could also make it. Yeah, make a multiverse competitor. It's like, oh, we also have Superman. We yeah. also have Shaggy. Yeah, at, at at which point 
you can't make that and like oh it's the only game where you can where you can do all this like no they'd have to make the good one if they wanted to make something like that and not have it just be look at all the shit we own oh so you mean like all those good sherlock holmes games there's a good number of them that are good a lot of them are trash but i mean that's just like all the other sherlock Holmes adaptations like there's 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 a huge you know huge variety there and i think a lot about characters in public domain like sherlock holmes like dracula Mm -hmm. it's like have they really suffered for being in public domain the answer is actually no no absolutely not i think we've gotten not not everything has been picked up by or or continued on forever like a lot of it gets used in that lexicon and then kind of disappears like because it's it's no longer useful but a lot of it still has a use like dracula is such an interesting character that it's gotten continued on to this point like it's just it's that important nothing's important anymore because it can't be you can't make references to any of this stuff without it being so vague and and non-specific that you know you won't get into trouble for it uh instead of directly commenting on the thing you want to comment on um in another piece of media and that's that's a problem long term that everything is owned um you 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 can't make anything that builds on prior work um directly um and I think, granted, Josh, are you commenting? We're, we're seeing interesting workarounds you got from to Disney? that. Well, yeah, it, like, yeah. I mean, we, we've we've seen a lot of interesting workarounds to this, with especially like the, uh, um, the fanfic communities finding ways to, you know. <laughs> rename all the characters and and and, you know legally make you know a distinct version of something once it starts to catch on but that's oh you mean like the people who made am2r are now actually making a actual metroidvania with unique characters yeah yeah it's 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 kind of it's it's weird because like they could have done that and gotten paid for it already instead of it, I, I, hey, I get it, man. I have a copy yeah. of Pokemon Plutonium somewhere on this computer. I don't remember yeah. where on this hard drive it is. Yeah. But, you know, people do these labors of love, do the fan fiction stuff. I read it when I was younger is an AOL site. I read like a 55 part FF7 fan fiction that was like, what if Aerith lived and how would the story have changed? And you know what? That yeah. story is probably better than what FF7 remake is presenting. And not to say that's bad because I actually enjoy their story, but. Yeah, people put in the thought and put in the work. Yeah, and I like. By the way, Shay had no idea this conversation was going to go anywhere in this direction. He had no yeah, idea. Yeah, but I'm, I'm letting you guys fiction, do it. What know? the fuck? Yeah, no, sorry. No, I, I our broken guys... copyright system is kind of a, a little bit of a pet peeve of mine because of how what what absolute. Well, this is this is part of the reason yeah. why, like, I knew it was gonna kind of go in this. I I had a feeling, and that's why I kind of 
preface the conversation with it might yeah. get into this whole like political realm because copyright and this is I don't have enough information. That's why yeah. I'm kind of being quiet and listening right now. I started yeah. reading about it yesterday and I was like, I don't know enough about this and there's, I'm not going to know enough about it by the time we do the show. Yeah, I, but um, that th this is another big hurdle to video game preservation is mm -hmm. this whole copyright um, law issue. And so I know you guys have a little bit more information, so I'm kind of letting you guys yeah uh, yeah I, to, like, or uh, pull your pull the weight there for the most part but yeah it is a big hurdle to video it's, game it's preservation. massive and and the u.s has so many corporations with just vested interests in this that they've spent the last hundred years breaking our copyright system uh it's, and then, it's not and just and the u.s it's japan well, too well it is but like, it's, that's be it's because of it's disney was really our model the, oh, disney was the og of this yes like they need to make mickey mouse not going to public domain. Mm hmm Yeah. Um whereas where it started in all specifically in the US, which is kind of the major player throwing its weight around with this, mm. kind of imposing our horrible copyright system on the entire rest of the world uh through trade agreements. The way it started out here made a whole lot more sense where we did not recognize copyright from any other countries. Mm. Like, oh, okay. Like they, they made a thing. Well, how are how are you going to get it here? Uh, obviously we'll, we'll just make copies of it. Like there's, there's, we're not going to try to, you know, track down copies made from this other country or whatever. If, if we've got people who want something, just make it, you can make your own copies. Uh, and then, it was like it was like a very limited. I think it was twenty-five or thirty-year copyright for anything made here, um, which um, media wasn't meant long, to last as long. Yes, yeah, it was. That was it. Was not exactly exactly. There were no no one expected that copyright would be this indefinite thing. We'd have we'd have you know, you'd still be able to get copies of something from way older, but it wasn't like it's something that would just continue circulating forever. Uh, well, it was, look, it was more of things. What's a commonly common public domain? Sherlock Holmes, mm -hmm. uh, Zorro, Dracula, all the mythologies like at this point. All, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, yeah, which, that's is, which is and, why those are basis for everything. Except I, I, for, I understand. Uh, they I copyrighted like Marvel's yeah. Thor. They make it distinct enough from, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Or, or Hercules, you know, because mm -hmm. Hercules also being a Marvel character, they they make it specific. Yeah. Oh, he wears a specific. If he wears a specific headband, it's too based off Marvel. Yeah, which is stupid. Like the whole point of so much of that catalog was we're going to take characters people know and we can build on them in interesting ways. Like you're you're already invested. Oh, Thor. I wonder what's that. What that is about. Obviously, you know, you've got, without any knowledge of the comics whatsoever, you've got broad strokes. This is a take on that myth. But um, then they added stuff to it. We're like, oh, yeah, the secret identity of Donald Blake as a human. Yes. And even if you look at, like, yeah. Superman, like, Superman, when he first came out, was an expansion of the Samson myth. Like, he couldn't fly or anything. Yes. He was a superpowered mm. thing. He was built off other mythologies yeah but the point being we're that then trying to take this and like oh but no one else can do that here 
like this 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 far and no further like it's fucking bullshit like if someone wants to make a new take based off of this like that's 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 where this has gotten broken well, look we've at, like, got this look at Batman, vast like, work of, you know, kind of human history that we can all build on. And then it's completely stagnated in the last hundred years because of our horrible American copyright system that we've foisted on everyone else. Well, my point is, like, look at, like, Batman. Orphan with dead parents uses gadgets to fight crime. Is that really that original? Like, using, you know, dead parents, getting revenge was rich beforehand. It's probably not original yeah. in the whole of human history, but I guarantee you if right now someone made someone that's not legally distinct enough from Batman, Warner Brothers is going to come down on them with all the like the weight yeah. of the world. Yeah, which is insane. Um Yeah. 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 Yeah, I agree. It's a very it's a very in-depth conversation the whole copyright issue thing and uh it's something that I think it'd be cool for us to discuss as a standalone topic in the future, because obviously there is a lot to say there, and there is a lot in specifically, in specifically in correlation to video games. Oh but, yeah, um, that, that throws a that huge is one of the. It is one of the big the pitfalls works. of preservation, but they I kind of want to Samson. <laughs> little Samson, I kind of ultimate copyright. <laughs> I I want to kind of wrap up this conversation really quickly with kind of a a very simple question because. We're we're gonna leave some on the table. It feels probably like we're n- we've we've lifted every rock and left every stone, or left no stone unturned in this conversation. There's so much more we could talk about. Um, I yeah. I want to leave it with a question, and then I want to I'm gonna shout out a few resources. But um, I, I wanted to ask you guys a simple basic question of: Do you guys think video game preservation truly is of importance? Um, and you can say like a few quick sentences about it. Uh, Ray, I th- I'm pretty sure I know how you feel about it, but I'm going to throw it to you first. How do you feel? It's just as worthy as any other artistic endeavor that humankind has undertaken that when it can be preserved, it should be. And given the level of technology and decentralization, we have less of an excuse than ever to not do so. You know, a painter painted a painting in the Renaissance era and it got taken throughout hundreds of years, survived hundreds of years and got burned up in a war. That's unfortunate, but it happens. Nowadays, someone makes a video game. It could be like saved on any number of servers in any number mm-hmm. of countries in the world for a paltry cost compared to the cost of reproducing paintings. Mm. We should make every effort possible to especially preserve video games coming out now in the age where we know preservation is a thing. Back in the 80s, it's harder to do. I give much more of a pass to, oh, no more boxes exist for Konami's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles because Nintendo put all their Nintendo cartridges in flimsy paper. Can't help that. Mm. Mm-hmm. But as much as we can now, we should preserve all we can. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it kind of, similar to what you're saying, it kind of depends what you mean by that. Um, like, oh, do, do we need, you know... <sighs> temperature controlled vaults um to 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 store all these old things i mean yeah for like a historical like in museum type situations it's it's neat to have these as objects that are that are that are worth seeing 
from the time. But I, I think the more interesting thing, like you said, is the work of art, <laughs> like the, the actual effort that went into the software. And that can be on every computer in the world easily with like what should be no cost at this point because it's not a matter of like I said with a lot of these old games there's there's no way to actually give money to anyone involved with this anymore like it, at once once a piece of software hits that point it should be fair game you can do whatever with it at that point and we mm. should just understand that as a concept like it's it's very obvious copyright should not apply to something like that anymore we and we could make human history a lot safer like our our by not making it a thing that you have to try to you know make sure no one finds out i downloaded a rom of a game that you can't get anywhere right um the, le- like the legacy of these creators yeah. should be protected yeah yeah and not not just for their own sake i mean it gets to a point some of them aren't alive anymore i don't really care if it's their legacy or not but like this piece of art was made it shouldn't be lost like just for forget their sake for humanity's sake it's a shame if we lose something like that for humanity's sake, we need to be able to play Fester's Quest on demand. <laughs> mm, exactly. So, Josh, you feel similarly. I mean, preservation, yeah. video game preservation is good, then. Yes, I, yes. That's, I, yeah, th- I that's what I'm getting from what you're saying, essentially. Yeah, but I, I, I feel more strongly as far as, like, the, you know, we, we really need to protect the, the code for these old things. Mm. Kind of any way we can, whether that, you know, is holding on to, you know, some old cartridge somewhere or not. Um, just because, like, the... Yeah, anyway. I, I think I kind of said all this. Anyway. We need to make a new seed vault, like what they have in, like, Norway or whatever it is that holds, like, mm-hmm. a different... Every type of seed humanity's ever cultivated. Yeah. We need this for every piece of code. Yeah, exactly. It's just got all the software. Um, yeah. Hmm. <laughs> I like here's what I'll say obviously it's important because I picked the topic um if it wasn't important I probably wouldn't <laughs> if it wasn't important to me I probably wouldn't pick the topic um I'm the guy who usually picks the topics I I do sometimes pick topics that I don't necessarily feel strongly about one way or the other just for the sake of conversation um yeah. that I know it will generate but with this one I I do think that there is importance here um Obviously, I I think there's a a ton of value in looking back at history and seeing how far we've come in terms of just technology, in terms of what gaming means and what Mm -hmm. like the trends were in gaming, things like that. And in terms of preservation, if we don't have that information for the average person to see, it's going to be more and more difficult to do that. And if, if you want to boil it down to even the most basic of concepts, stories are interesting. And me reading that story uh, about um, the, the uh, what's her, what's her, Van, Van, I forgot her name now, Van, Tra- Van, 
let me look it up. I'm sorry. But that, that story that I was telling at the beginning of the show about um that that developer who um got Van the Mai. first female representation in gaming. That's a very interesting story, and it was interesting to hear that organization track her down. And she's mm-hmm. still alive today. She doesn't she's not involved in gaming anymore. Kind of tell her story about how the like the whirlwind nature of her doing programming and developing all the way back in the day. Mm. Um, it is a very, very different concept to what game development is now. And without those accounts, we wouldn't know that. Van Mai, that's her name. I apologize for forgetting that. But um, stories in general are just interesting. And when you talk about video game preservation, you get stories and you get very interesting stories at that. So, um, mm-hmm. A few quick things before we take a break. You can head over to GameHistory.org um, to look up that organization that Ray and I have been talking a lot about. You can go to um, GamePress.org or GamePres. Uh, it's G-A-M-E-P-R-E-S.org. It is a small organization in Japan that is run by uh, a foreign guy and a Japanese guy, and they're trying to do game preservation here in Japan. And it is like it is a pretty new, newer um, thing. They're kind of in their infancy, trying to get it more and more off the ground. Uh, Japan has their own set of laws and rules and issues, and that's stuff that I could talk upon more that we didn't even get to. That mm-hmm. we can do that in another episode. I would love to have done more research so I can talk about that more Shay, eloquently. Can you, Shay, can you rent a game yet in Japan? Ha! <laughs> no. Uh, you can't eat like all those yeah. blockbusters are going to go out of business, right? <laughs> mm. um, and like I said, I talked about that uh, article from the Washington Post. Um, it's called "Video Game Preservation Emulation." Um, it came out at the beginning of the year. It talks about some of the issues that Josh and Ray were talking about with copyright issues and all sorts of stuff. It, it gets into some of that stuff, but um, obviously, it goes much more in depth there. You can check out all those resources, and uh, we'll go ahead and put those in the show notes. Uh, can and, I just share a couple others, Jay, just to throw yeah, some please. preservation? Please. Uh, one that I've looked into, retromags.com. They are looking to digitally preserve video game magazines from 10 years ago and earlier. So, like, old Game Pros, the oldest of Game Informer, let's be honest. GameStop hmm. owns Game Informer. God knows only how long they'll be still around. Yeah, right. Um, archive.org, I brought it up before. I cannot stress this enough. They're what the internet was supposed to be. They were supposed to be a, rep- they're a repository of human knowledge about the internet in general. And they're constantly in peril due to lack of funding. So if you have, do have disposable income, archive.org is always taking donations. And then just lastly, if you ever want to know about the history of stuff, there's tons of YouTube channels that I brought up, like Good Vibes Gaming. But then even also simple things like Wikipedia, like Wikipedia in general, but then even wiki is devoted to any number of topics you know no matter what series you're into what product you're into people put in a lot of work on their own time for free to make sure that as much knowledge that can be accessed is easily accessible Mm. dope that's yeah ton ton of information there you guys want to go get lost in the in the rabbit hole that (laughs) we clearly got lost into please feel free to um we're going on break. We will be right back with the back half of uh, the podcast. Don't go anywhere. 
You know, Shay, Josh, when I listen to the Chomp Cast, I don't just listen to the Chomp Cast. I'll be what do chomping. you do? I be chomping. You be chomping? I be chomping. What do you mean? You know, I chomp it to the east, and I chomp it to the west, and I chomp it over to swordchomp.com, where I listen to the Chomp Cast. Oh, shit. What else can I find there? What's at swordchomp.com? At swordchomp.com, you can chomp over to the east for episodes of the Chompcast where we talk about video games. Or you can chomp over to the west for Chomping After Dark, where we spoil comics, movies, even video games themselves. Hell yeah. You know, one time, (laughs) I was listening to the Chompcast in the back of a car, and a police officer comes over and he knocks on the window. And I roll it down, and he shines his light on me, and I say, I'll be chomping. <laughs> and what did he say? Uh, he was breathless. He didn't know what to say. You know what I would have said? Tell me. I would have said, I'd be chomping. I'd be chomping. Hey y'all, we're back. We back. But uh, we're gonna talk about some games now, and I am front loading the show like I did last week with some more Assassin's Creed Valhalla talk, specifically the Siege of Paris, which is something good friend of ours, Mr. Ray, played, and he wants to discuss. I so wanted take to take it away, Ray. Yeah, I was last time I was on the show, I was talking about uh wrath of the druids i was a little negative on it Mm. that was the first dlc given with the expansion pass of assassin's creed valhalla and this is a problem for me i buy the deluxe edition of these games and i don't get the season passes generally i never played the atlantis shit for odyssey Mm. but i finally got back to playing the expansion pass stuff for valhalla because i was kind of bored it's kind of bored some jrpgs i was like all right i just want something where i can stab stuff and do a checklist and i that's assassin's creed right um so i started playing valhalla again or excel in a knife yeah but you know what it's not as pretty Mm -hmm. unless you have special graphics for excel in which case slide them into me you know under the table Mm -hmm. um (laughs) instead though i played wrath of druids i was disappointed siege of paris though and rich told me this because he got to it sooner than i did was better and so i was like all right Mm. i'm gonna take your word for it and i got into it it's a lot better it mixes some stuff that i've missed very much from assassin's creed and that it uh not all of it but a lot of it takes place in the paris of viking times so whatever 1000 ad 780 whatever that is yeah Whatever it is, yeah. Point is, Paris at the time was one of the few truly urban places in the world, especially in Europe at the time. Mm. And that's something that the new Assassin's Creed had been getting away from was the urban environments, which was really their focus from the first game until Assassin's Creed Syndicate. Right. Truly mm-hmm. urban environments, tall buildings, masonry, social, what they called social stuff, like hiding in crowds. Yes. That kind of came back with the Siege of Paris. Because they give you these bosses where you're allowed to 
the goal is to assassinate them, and there are so many ways to do it. It's like, say, half like a third of Hitman, like the modern mm. IO Hitmans. Yeah, where you have so many options in which to kill someone, Hitman. In the new Assassin's Creed Siege of Paris thing, when I say new, I mean like a year ago. They give you a target, like, oh, you could infiltrate, you can go loud, you could sneak your way in by giving having someone give you the key. They give you these open-ended ways of killing people, and it's actually very refreshing. It really feels like old Assassin's Creed. And I have to say that with the idea of Assassin's Creed becoming more of a platform, if this Assassin's Creed Infinity thing is real... I hope they stick with. This was really a refreshing mixture of old and new. Mm. And it felt felt great. It felt great to work towards an actual assassination. Because too much of the previous shit was AC Valhalla, you're playing a Viking. Viking and infiltration don't really go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. Whereas this this expansion guy says you might want to infiltrate this might be the best way to do so i'm like fuck yeah it is and you get rewards for doing so you follow the clues you get the keys and you get special prompts and you kill you can kill your targets in special ways and that that is reminiscent of modern hitman games it's reminiscent of even of um you remember uh the first person games bethesda Elder Scrolls? No, they're subsidiary with the rats. Where you could teleport. Where you Man, do... I wish Rich was here. Fate worse... He would know. The fate worse than death. I have no idea. Uh, point is, it was a uh, first-person feature in a series of games where you were able to do a fate worse than death to the people you had to kill. Oh, 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 oh. Goodness, I don't know why this didn't register. I was thought you were talking about something much older. You're, you're talking about Dishonored. Dishonored, thank you. Good grief, I don't know why. Yeah, my no, brain, like, as soon yeah, as you like, said whatever Shay start led with, got my mind thinking way, way farther back, and I'm like, what could this possibly yeah, be? Okay, Dishonored, I remember, like, you're able to get, like, a slave owner, you're able to, like, clod his eyes and get him sold into slavery. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Some of the ultimate kills in Siege of Paris don't, are not as graphic as that, but they're sort of, they reward the hard work. Like you could kill a priest by having a giant cross fall on him when he says like, my faith is absolute. So it's like, there's kind of like a shot in front there. <laughs> right. It's like, thank mm-hmm. you. No. And it returns sort of that organizational, like, even though you're a lone wolf, you're not just going with an ax. Like it feels like mm. something of the older time. It's not mm. as urban as, say, something like even, you know, a lot of this takes place in Paris. So it's not like Assassin's Creed Unity, which takes place in Paris during the French Revolution. Mm. But you yeah. can even see some of the DNA like this is Paris then this is Paris now. And all their faces work in this one. So, <laughs> yeah, no, it's a very good expansion. It was a lot more what I hope for for pushing maybe the series forward because they now had three games in this action RPG style. Mm. But the idea of you just going yeah. loud all the time because they've really gotten away from you being an assassin. Going loud all the time is yeah. just not what I want. That's I could play any number of games where I'm running into a building going nuts. You know, 
I like the Assassin's Creed style of old Assassin's Creed where I try to be as quiet as possible. If I screw up, then it's loud and I could still do do it or I could restart and try to stay quiet. Mm-hmm. Like, and this kind of feels like it kept up on that. I don't know if I'm going to download the newer Dawn of Ragnarok because that wasn't part of the um, season pass. I think it's like 40 bucks and I don't think it really follows that like not linear, like stay quiet system that seems a little more loud. But also I have to say that in conjunction with that new expansion being put out, the free mode, their roguelite mode, the Forgotten Saga is actually a lot of fun. Rich was talk. That's what he was talking about last week. Yeah, ima- he said it's awesome. Imagine the slowest version of Hades you could play. All the excite, all the moment to moment excitement is taken out of like quickly hitting buttons like dash around, but instead, all okay. of that is replaced with more methodical planning because you just know eventually you're gonna have to deal with like a giant dragon spitting poison. That's cool. It's a lot of fun. They somehow took something that wasn't made for a roguelite and they made it extremely fun. Hmm. That's pretty cool. I like that. No, it's and it, the thing is, it's a free play mode. So if anyone bought Valhalla years ago at this point, was it fucking two years old? Yeah, you kind of you don't owe it to yourself. I'm not you have to do this. But like, if you like that game at all, go back, download the update, try it out. It's worth it. It's fucking free. That's a glowing endorsement. It's, I would say right now, well, here's my glowing endorsement. If I had to pay $10 for that mode, I would have paid $10 for that mode. There you go. That's, that's even better. I like that. Yeah. It, but at free, it's a steal. Hell yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, I'm glad. I, like Rich has been talking about how the game has gotten better. I'm glad you, you think so too, because. Like I told him last week when I went back when we got a, uh, a code from the dev and we played it, it was just such a boilerplate game that I didn't even get close to finishing it. I just got so bored. It's the worst of those three. And I do have to say with Siege of Paris and I'm writing a review of it like I wrote a review for Wrath of Druids. Yeah, the le- the power level is capped at a certain okay. point. Okay. Not as low as it was. Wrath of Druids, the power cap was 55, which is like, that's a very beginning of the game. Yeah. Siege of Paris is 200 power cap. Okay. My Eivor power level is like 540. Damn. So it's like you just, I still run in and I fucking brutalize everything. But the story is actually more worth it. The story's a lot better than Wrath of Druids. Uh, okay. They make you care about the different parts of it. They actually do characterization well, and and this me as a student of history, like if you're such a nerd that you want to go look up the real people involved in the expansion, they're there, they're real, and their portrayals are actually pretty accurate to what stories say of them. Mm, okay. Interesting. Hmm. That's cool. Yeah. Well, thank you for detailing that. I I, I think it's. I think it's really cool that that game is becoming a more complete game, so to speak. It's showing how Assassin's Creed, and this is actually what I think they're doing. Assassin's Creed is going to become a platform, a la like a Destiny. Hmm. Like, if I had to prognosticate, Assassin's Creed Infinity is going to be their platform, and Valhalla is their testing ground. 
Mm. And I would say so far, it's kind of if I had to grade their progress towards a platform, I'd give it like a B. All right. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. Well, cool. Well, thank you for uh, detailing that. Um, I, I want to talk briefly a little bit more about uh, CrossCode because I finished the game. Uh, that's what I did when I had COVID. I just sat down and played this game and I did every fucking thing I could do in this game minus the DLC. Um, there, there are a bunch of collectible chests that you can find throughout the game. That's part of the fun of the game is figuring out the puzzle of um, finding out the treasure chests. And oh, yeah. I did all those. I did every side mission I possibly could. Um, I did some marina stuff. I haven't finished that all. I don't know if I'll go back and finish all of that. And then um, there are multiple endings for the game, and I did that. And I got to say, man, I'm so glad that I went back and played this game. It's something that I, um, we talked about last week that I had started when it was uh, released on all the major um, places. And then I just put it away and I was like, I kept saying, I'm going to get back to it. I'm going to get back to it. I'm going to get back to it. I'm really glad I did. Um, the game has a clear love of many different IPs that came before it. Notably, it is very influenced by uh, older Square games in terms of like music. And this is something I talked with Josh privately about. The music is very heavily influenced by older Square and Square soft games. Like I could hear yeah. hints of Final Fantasy VII or Final Fantasy VIII or Saga Frontier even. I heard some hints of that in the soundtrack. It was crazy to me yeah. in the best way possible to hear all those influences. And um, yeah, I, I love that um, because they reference for the a first ton half of stuff like, from the '90s, just in general, as well as you know, Easter yes. eggs here and there. Um, yes, it's very yeah. referential in the best way possible. It sets itself apart, but it it's it sets itself far enough apart to where when it makes those references to '90s IPs and stuff, it doesn't feel too far out of place. Yeah. You know, um, they how, did a really good job. With how it. old do you guys feel now where 90s references are really like the target? We're just like, holy shit, I'm old. I, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there, there are moments that I feel like that. I, uh, like, don't forget, for years it was like, oh, everything's referencing 80s movies and stuff. I'm like, nope, yeah. nope. They're referencing Jurassic Park and Independence Day now, and I just want to, you know, go jump out a window. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I, that's that's true. And the thing is, like, seeing a bunch of 90s fashion <laughs> return and, like, I'm walking around on the streets of Japan and people are wearing shit that Listen, people wore when, when, 20 plus years ago. If you're walking around Japan, you start seeing a bunch of people wearing Jenkos run in the other direction. They can't catch or you. Their leg pants are say, too Where wa- can I get my pair? Where can I get my? J- Listen, I need pants that are four feet wide. Help me out. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, what, help. No, there be. What, you have to ask in meters, right? So, like, help me find pants that are like one point five meters wide. Right. Right. Exactly. Help a help a poor foreigner out. I yeah, but <laughs> cross code um. Man, that that combat system 
as you continue to progress in um, leveling up your character, it gets so good. Man, that oh, combat yeah. system is amazing. It's one of the deepest combat systems that seems just like... I mean, it doesn't seem simple right off the bat. They give you a fairly good chunk of a tutorial coming into the game because they, they understood how deep it was going to be. Um, right. But coming into it, it's, it's still, even with all of that, hard to, uh, to really get a hold of where it's going. Right. Uh, yeah, it, 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 it grows. Yeah, and like, like to, to your point on that, I spent like the first half of the game just shooting from, from distance and yeah. building up my, my shooting abilities. I was like, mm-hmm. this is what I want to be. And then I started getting a little bit bored of that, and I was like, all right, let me try going a little bit more melee. And then I spent uh, a majority of the back half doing that. But then I got to yeah. certain enemies where neither of those strategies were working. And I un- unlocked some of the dash arts and the guard arts. Yep. But I hadn't really <laughs> used them much. And so I started using those. And I was like, there's this whole other aspect of the game that I haven't even been playing with. And um, oh, yeah. I started playing around with those, like combining all of those together as the game was pretty much at, at the end. And I could play that whole game again as a completely different character. And yeah, basically. Yeah. And um, depending man, on what you want to focus on. Right. I, I love that game. I think I will definitely return and like play that game from beginning to end again at some point in my life. Oh yeah. Um, it's so good. And the story, the story is fantastic too. Um, I've talked with Josh about it privately. We're going to be doing a chomping after dark on that. Um, I really want to get into the, details of that story it's really hard not to have talk you gone about through all the story. epilogue stuff yeah, yeah 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 all of it yeah well oh, the, wow. i did the i get i did the bad ending and the good ending are you talking about the dlc is that dlc well so I thought it was free well there there's dlc to the game as well um but like are you talking about after like the the, the, the epilogue yeah there, after, there, there are after two the epilogues. good ending Yes. Yes. Okay. All right. Because there's like a million extra quests that they added to that. Oh, I see what you're saying. I thought you meant just like the... I thought you were talking about the... um, I'm sorry. Just like the story bit. Yeah, they give you like a little story beat thing, but also like right before you end that story thing, they're like, "You, you have anything you want to go do? And if you go explore the world again... There's a ton of new stuff to do again. There's I didn't like, know that. Okay. Yeah. Um, I've, I'm still working my way through that because it was way more than I expected. Like, there's a bunch of hidden stuff and kind of wrapping up story threads from side quests from throughout the rest of the game. It's, mm. it, it was way more in-depth than I expected it to be. Um, okay. I'll definitely have to pop back in there then yeah. at some point because I didn't know that. Yeah, I'm, I'm still working my way through some of that. I yeah I I love the game I I definitely want to do some of the DLC stuff and now the extra content that I know exists. Mm-hmm. Um, the the thing I like um about the game a lot is it leaves some threads open too, which I'm sure will be answered in the DLC and stuff. Yeah. Um, one thing I wanted to mention because I did buy it on the Switch, 
I, I've ran into an issue where the game just quit working a few times on the Switch, where it mm. just it said, um, have it like error giving me having trouble reading this, um, or running this game, and it would just shoot me out to the home screen. I had that happen to me multiple times, mm. and there are a few times where I'm in the middle of like doing something, and then the buttons just weren't responsive. Have you like, tried running the game them. during a rooftop party? Oh. <laughs> so close but no i haven't not yet that might be the answer that's always the answer yeah like listen kevin smith is selling his own roll trays now just make sure this the switch is ready as a roll tray and maybe it'll work properly oh that's a good idea yeah all right i, I was incorrect it looks like the uh um what's like nine dollars for that final dlc and stuff yeah yeah wait wait are you saying someone's like charging nine dollars for the end of a fucking game is this a sarah's wrath what the fuck is happening (laughs) (laughs) i mean like you get you get the end of the game but like there's additional content that is added to the game Mm -hmm. and before you finish the game you can go do that additional stuff and but okay is it important to the end of the game because this is worth saying like I feel like egregious no. things are Assassin's Creed no, 2. Like it's it's kind of like I was talking about shit. before. Uh, well, I, I guess you weren't here. So anyway, sorry. Um, the game is based in an MMO, but it's not about the MMO that you're playing. So it's like in, sort, basically. sort of online stuff. Ish, ish. But anyway, uh, a lot of the DLC focuses on finishing up, like, because the game kind of, whenever you're about to finish it up. The player base is waiting on the last patch to be able to kind of finish the story and whatnot. And so the DLC is kind of that last patch that people are waiting for to finish the in-game, you know, MMO story. That's actually uh, upsetting on so many levels. (laughs) But, like, it it works narratively, just, like, as as a, you know as a setting sort of like it feels like like an actual active mmo with people you know talking about how they're looking forward to these story beats or whatever and complaining about something over here we're gaslighting uh, you the mmo yeah yeah um yeah yeah (laughs) that's right but yeah the the narrative doesn't really need the the mmo to be finished to, to to have like a you know good resolution to the actual story that's it it's there's two separate threads the player thread and then the story of the game thread yes Mm. yeah Mm. yeah um like i said there are a few technical issues with the the game and on the switch but overall fantastic game i'm i'm sure a lot of people like me miss this game it's worth going back to play it's a fucking incredible game um like if you have the option, I'd probably suggest PC to play yes. it because it, it is kind of built around mouse and keyboard uh, type combat and whatnot, and it works. It works well enough as a twin stick shooter, sort of a an idea. Um, hmm. But given some of those performance issues that you've been having on the Switch, uh, it, it might make more sense just to play that, you know, native HTML5 version. Yeah, and I'm curious if uh, the Xbox and PlayStation versions 
have any issues with that as well. I know that it recently yeah. just came out for the PS5. I'm kind of I don't know if it, I don't I don't I wouldn't imagine it probably has as much performance issues as the Switch, but I could be wrong. Oh, I I think they have more robust internet browsers on those platforms, don't they? Well, the, they, P- I the, P- so. the PS5 is at the very least 16 switches taped together. Well, I think it has less to do with that than about how well it actually, you know, actually runs the internet is kind of the, the issue where the switch doesn't have a browser. Still, um, still, right. still 16 I switches think. taped together yeah. in terms of performance. Yeah. Mm. Well, but I mean, still, this is a game that whenever um, they were developing it the demo was just online you just go play it in your browser um, this this feels very much like a s- recent spate of games like a like a genshin impact revolution mm-hmm. like what was i downloaded a game the other day i've still interacted with it at all what the fuck is it called um tower of fantasy oh i heard about that, that, that the, that's another seems- it's another like, isn't it? It it is. I'm saying these are coming increasingly popular. I did also download the Octopath Traveler game. I downloaded these games on my phone, tricking myself into thinking, "Oh, you'll fucking play these," and I don't. Um, <laughs> whereas, like, because apparently the opposite of most gamers, where it's right here in my hand, I should be playing it. And apparently, the Octopath Traveler game is great. But even uh, Tower of Fantasy is a very good Genshin-like game. Like, uh, it's MMO mobile game. Hmm. And people are making their favorite Genshin characters in it with apparently the very in-depth character creator. Hmm. No, this, this seems like this whole... It's not blowing up, but seeing a new resurgence. And you know what? That's kind of cool. Because the more free-to-play finds a foothold in the non-predatory space, and when the, the space is really just cosmetics and stuff, I'm all for it. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But get crosscode. Get crosscode. Yeah. And get Swifty. Um <laughs> glowing Josh. endorsement of 2019 from Shay Layton. Get Swifty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> More like 2016, but yeah, pretty oh, yeah, much. Yeah, I, I don't have a grasp on reality. It's okay. Cult of the Lamb, Josh. You played this oh, yeah. interesting game that I've never heard of. How have you? Okay, um, I live in a, under a rock. I, I yeah. Mm. The rock is called Japan, and games on the PC. That's yeah. True. Well, yeah, yeah. I guess that's yes. Um, Cult of the Lamb is a. Um, oh, this looks awesome. Yeah. So he doesn't even fucking know about it. He's like looking at it for this? the first it's... fucking time. He's like, oh, this looks awesome. <laughs> yeah, right? Um, I guess, like, city builder with, with a, like, kind of roguelike dungeon crawler attached to it, sort of a, mm. sort of a deal. Um, That's exactly what I saw. Somebody's pegging it as Animal Crossing meets Hades. Yes, no, that sounds about right. Um, I mean, obviously, the combat's not Hades level, but it's 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 solid. It's it's a good solid combat um, system. It's a sexuality of Isabella mixed with Zagreus. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> um, but anyway, you're playing as this lamb who was, you know, um, 
starting starting a cult, kind of not not of his own will, but because uh, these other three or no sorry these other four elder gods decided to kill him because of some you know prophecy or of whatever of you know the fifth god that used to be there that they didn't really want around anymore. Mm. Um, but anyway, regardless of them killing you, that fifth god found out and brought you back because, well, it's your job to eventually let him out. Um, so you've got to eventually kill all the, the other four gods to free him is kind of the, 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 the setup there. Uh, but to do that, obviously, you know, since you're kind of in the Hades vein of thing, getting powered up by a god, barely, mm-hmm. the, 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 the upgrades you get aren't massive other than, you know, in, you know, better gear or whatever. Um, sorry, not even better gear, but like just better weapons, better weapons, better spells. Um, um, but again, to do that, this god needs someone to, you know, basically do his bidding on earth. So it's not just your job. You've got to, you've got to rope some other schmucks in the, in the helping with the job. So you've got to start a cult, which is the city building aspect of it. So you've got to keep these cultists happy and fed and, you know, only dead when you want them to be, uh, in order to, uh, do your job of, um, bringing this old God back. Uh, which is satisfying enough on its own that sometimes I'll kind of almost forget that I'm supposed to be going into a dungeon uh, and be like, I'm, I'm, let's mess around here. I can, I can plant a garden over this way. And uh, if I have these two followers go over there, I can, they can uh, build some shelters for everybody. It'll, it'll be nice. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll have a little, you know, lunch area over here. It's, it's, it's fun. Um, just doing that. Um, however, because it is a cult, uh, you don't just have to keep them alive. You have to also keep them from deciding that, you know, you're using all of them there and whatnot. So they, Mm. they, they might, they might need to be re-educated or, or, or something like that. Oh um, yeah. Oh yeah. Um like and they kind of they give you a um there's there's like a there's like a a role playing aspect to it of as far as like how you want to build your cult. Um mm. where you've got um like five different um flavors of edicts that you can hand down to them. Like, okay, I'm going I'm to level up uh, something related to food over here. Like, mm-hmm. we're, we're going to pass down some commandments about food. Uh, and so you can either give them stuff, you know, like... Kind of given... Get, get shaping the theme, the overall theme of your cult is kind of what you're doing there. Like, all right, do I, do I want these guys to be... All right, I'm trying to think of one that... Like, an actual example. Um... I can't think of an actual example, but anyway, for like, for example, though, like it's, it's better to fast or whatever, or, 
or like no gluttony is great it's like kind of depending on what flavor of culture you're going for there like mm. all right like if, if if i say that it's it's actually good for them that they're starving and i don't have food for them then uh oh i, I can we'll do this ritual here and that'll remind all of them of how you know it's actually great that uh that you don't have anything to eat right now and it brings you closer closer to to true knowledge or something like that um it's 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 a neat take on it like you'll they'll have you know they get similar ones with money like there's some of them that you can kind of extort your your followers for money or uh or bribe them to get better performance out of them basically kind of depending on which way you want to take it um which kind of makes me think I'm going to want to replay this again and try a completely different type of cult. Um, because you've just got different options. You can kind of, um, and like each time you level up each of those, you can only pick one of the two. Okay. Which kind of gives you the whole, okay, which, which shape is this going to be in this time? Um, and you can, you know, go from there because the different perks will kind of decide whether or not you want to. Um, for for example, I'm kind of role playing as a prosperity gospel mega church pastor for <laughs> this first one, where every time I see them, they have to give me money, and then I'll give them a little bless, a little blessing to make them feel better about themselves. That's um, so nice of you. Sort of a sort of a thing. Um, like set up little donation booths around the thing in case they're you know feeling like they've got something to atone for. Um, mm-hmm. sort of a thing. Like you've got other options. You could you could just be a death cult and decide to you know bring in lots of new followers because some of you are going to need to be sacrificed, um, either Not to feed totally. the camp or to you know summon other old gods to help us get to the one we're actually looking for. Uh, it's just it's it's so much fun to kind of and a lot of it feels like specifically tongue in cheek making fun of Animal Crossing and the just absolute power you have over all the other villagers who are there with you. Like, no, your, right. your house is not going to go there. I know you think it is. You're going to live over here. Actually, why don't you leave? Um, so a lot of it's kind of making fun of that, but in a much more dark and like, what, what, what if this was actually the cult that it pretty much seems like, uh, right. sort of a, sort of a feeling. Um, and I just I don't know I've I've really enjoyed the the humor of it so far it just for me it looks very very humorous it, yeah and it, it's not it's it's not like the 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 really blatant like haha look at this type you know we, we can't we can't afford to uh, let you miss a joke anywhere mm. they just they kind of give you the space to do it yourself kind of like i was saying with the there's nothing really leading you into what sort of cult you want to be other than i mean you do have limited options but they're not that limited you could choose to run it basically however you want Mm. um so anyway okay that's dope um i definitely am gonna have to check that game out yeah yeah i've been i've been enjoying the 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 combat like I, i was talking to sorry wanted to mention the combat as well it's not hades but that's not to say it's not 
good. It's it's still really good, solid, snappy combat. It's just not that deep, because um, mm. it is much more, at least so far, straightforward of a roguelike. Like you start uh, a run, like kind of through the dungeon crawling thing, and you get a random weapon, a random spell. Um, and it's it's way less about kind of picking a build and going for that than it is about like the old school. Just get by with the much more limited tools that we give mm. you. Um, yeah, sort of a feel to it, but it's it's still good at that. So, cool. There you go. Check that out. Um, Ray, you played Xenoblade Chronicles two, and you wanted to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, two, not three. I know, yeah, exactly. I, I feel like that's the most important thing to say, that I know Xenoblade Chronicles 3 just came out, and it's the game that actually a lot of people are talking about, and I'm so happy for that, because the Xeno series is something I've been playing since 1998, when Gears came out on the PlayStation 1. Mm. Um, I want to play Xeno... Xenoblade 3. Xenoblade Chronicles 3, I want to play it. I did buy it. I am playing 2 first, though, because I heard that is... You do not have to, but you get extra shit for it. Like, it's it's one of those things. If you get the story... Because I played 1 on the 3DS, the worst possible way. Mm. I want to replay that also on the Switch, which I did buy. Before playing three, I heard that was a good remaster, but I've I've not played that version yet either. Well, I mean, it's a remaster of the Wii version and the three DS. Yes. The three DS, worst possible way to play it. Mm-hmm. That's the way I did it, though. <laughs> but it, it, the I brought up uh, earlier the um, YouTube channel Good Vibes of Gaming. They gave a full accounting of all of that, mm. including the three DS remake. I'm playing through two right now. I want to play through that and understand the story before I go into three. I bought all of it. I'm more than willing to take time out. And I have two. It sold well. It felt more twee than the first one, so it turned some people off. That's what turned me off at first. I bought it when it first came out. Mm. I started playing it. I was like, these characters look like shit. I want nothing to do with it. Mm. And I held it for years, and here I am replaying again, and... I can just tell you right now, to people who thought like me, you are wrong. I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's the best possible, like, go back to thing. The characters are engaging. The systems are engaging. It's different. The game expects things of you. Fucking play it. <laughs> That, that's all I can say. Like, it's a, such a simple review. Fucking, it, it follows the best parts of Xenoblade, where they give you this huge open world, explore it, collect items, solve side quests based on that. It is a different enough story, but I can tell you right now, I've read the whole Wikia and shit. I know how it connects to the first game to make the third game be better. If you have the time and you're so predisposed and you want the whole reasons to why this Xeno adventure 
matters as a complete story, do it in yeah. order. Just like people won't buy Xeno, uh, fucking uh, Xeno Saga one, three, and three on the PS2, and we're hoping for more for Xeno Gears on the PS1. Right. That's all you really say about it. It's like it, it's just a matter of, especially, and this is what we were talking about with preservation earlier. Xenoblade Chronicles 1 is a fucking Wii game that got re-released on the new 3DS that barely <laughs> anyone bought. Right. And they got re-released again on the Switch. And it only, yeah. got, it only got released on the Wii on the first place because of a fucking fan campaign called Operation Rainfall. Mm. It was never mm. supposed to come out in America originally. And because of that, it got this uniquely British character because of its voice acting. Everyone was British. It's like old school Star Wars. Interesting. And they carried it over for every other release. Like Xenoblade Chronicles 2, everyone says British. And apparently for Xenoblade Chronicles 3, they go full on the British. They make up their own slang to cover cursing. Like, oh, you're, <laughs> I like it. you're sparking doing this. Like, you know, like... If you hear Brit- Can you give me an example of said? Uh, I, I couldn't because I haven't played three yet. I bought it, but I, for almost as sparkin has replaced the word fucking. Sparkin, I like it. Yeah, so you know what? You have characters saying. Are you sparkin kidding me? It's, it's it's like frack. That's actually yeah. the point. So like you know what? They're getting around fucking censors in the stupidest way possible. And you know what? Yeah. British? That was such a fun one because they were obviously very proud of it to the point where it was used constantly. Yeah, and you know what? British media, when they come up with an alternate term, they run with it. Like, you're watching Doctor yeah. Who or anything, they they go with it. And they, they subvert mm-hmm. censors left and right because you know what everyone's fucking saying. <laughs> and apparently yeah. they mm. fully run with that in Xenoblade Chronicles 3. And I can tell you right now, when I get there, I cannot wait for it. I cannot wait to hear your fake cursing. Because... Again, no, it just highlights the fact how real cursing is... Artificial. Fuck yeah. it. The word fuck only has meaning because we give value to it. Right, yeah. You change, change around to the word sparkin. Same thing? Why? Because mm-hmm. they give value to it. But it's not right. subject to being a teen rating as a result. So smart on them. I like that. That's an interesting aside that I didn't expect we would be discussing. But it's it's interesting nonetheless. Um, the last game we're going to discuss very briefly is called Lost in Play. Another game that I've definitely heard of. <laughs> Hundred percent have heard of. Yeah. Uh, Josh, you played this. Wow, this game looks cute as shit. Um, oh yeah, Josh. Y- yeah, you you played this. I did. This fun. is uh, this is one that I've been looking forward to for a little while. Not 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 long, but um, tis cute as shit. Uh, Lost in Play is a adventure game of the old school. You know. 90s point-and-click adventure games, which have been kind of seeing a revival lately with with a lot of new entries to that genre that have been great in the last few years with mm. kind of their own takes on like what, what was 
the cool part of that because they died and they died hard um right at the end of the 90s uh and it took a long time for them to come back there was there were always adventure games for like the hard hardcore fans that were still on the PC market um like they they never went anywhere but they got more and more obscure as far as like we're not going to change anything from this series puzzles have to be completely incomprehensible uh like it was just that mm. became more and more baked into that sort of um this is just what the genre is and it's not been until recently that i've seen a lot of change to that like okay we don't have to do that we can have way more of a focus on narrative we want um mm. we, like there are options um lost in play is kind of a take on adventure games but instead of doing that more narrative focused like oh maybe we just don't have puzzles type adventure game uh this is much more no this is about the puzzles it's about playing with these games uh the story here is that you're playing as these two kids uh who you know brother and sister who yeah. you know just just imagine their games together and kind of make up these scenarios having fun and just play with mm. some silly made up rules um and the whole thing is kind of framed as these little vignettes like oh th- this is the game they're playing now and so you get um specifically those adventure game puzzles like okay i've got to figure out how this thing works um i've I've got to either find an item and give it to someone else uh this this kind of feels i guess if it has closer to something more more recently closer to something more like uh machinarium okay where where it's kind of about exploring the world more not purely because there's still a lot of like inventory stuff going on um but it's much more about these little vignettes. Like you'll be in a level, which is the game they're playing currently. That's like a couple screens. Like you're, you're not going very far to find these things out, but because of that, you can screw around and try different combinations and not feel like, Oh my goodness, this is just horrible. I can't figure out anything. Your, your options are just limited to the, you know, such a scope that it's not, frustrating at all it's it is you playing um and to make that work you've kind of you've got a couple options uh early on the the lucasart games especially the um the ones by ron gilbert and tim schaefer they made that fun because the writing was outstanding both both of them were just excellent writers so you'd be screwing around and the 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 dialogue for trying out any given thing was just funny so like that would stop you from getting frustrated in those situations Mm. uh in this one the characters you're playing as are kids and i probably to help with localization speak gibberish uh, like there's okay. there's nothing to understand there it's it's essentially wordless like they're they're talking you can kind of get general idea but like 
it's it's kind of all done visually and the mm. the way you're not getting bored is by just enjoying watching it because the the style in this game is a hand-drawn animation yeah that that's what I was is too. very very charming with you know animations for all these different things you're doing uh that just it makes it fun to screw around with the world even mm. if you're not figuring out the puzzle like you're you're seeing new animations that are just so charming that are kind of the draw here um okay. because ha 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 yep 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 um yuck, yuck, yuck. and i i really think that that is kind of what makes it work because you are you're you're playing with it you're 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 kind of all right let's screw around let's see if i can figure out how to get this frog to do something over here for me because uh because uh i think it's the frog that maybe i could toss him up there to grab the key or whatever like it's um it's it's very adventure game puzzly sort of stuff which is the sort of dumb shit you'd make up as two kids playing with each other um yeah like there's it's really hard as an adult to kind of recapture that feeling of what it was to be a child like I, i was thinking about it the other day when i was back in in the states and granted my little brothers are a little too old for this now but um you know hanging out with some friends and their children remembering the process of being like like you're you're play fighting and they're like okay i'm gonna activate yeah. a force field oh yeah, this gun yeah. shoots through force fields okay yeah. well i'm gonna make an even stronger force field that blocks that gun and it's just like the the randomness that pops into your brain that you just shoot out kind of thing mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. that's something we unfortunately lose largely as adults is replaced uh, not completely it was replaced by larping <laughs> yeah yeah very true very true and D and D enthusiasts but um yeah i it, it's hard to capture that in like a, a medium you know what i mean so it's cool that this game is kind of yeah no i think it does a really good job the the animation in this game is excellent uh it's mm. it's 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 really just a joy to see in motion um and the It works really well for the subject matter of the whole, you know, just an imagined game sort of thing because they'll go back and forth between okay, this is what they look like in real life while this is going on to okay, now now I'm in like the the actual puzzle while we're playing the game sort of a thing, mm-hmm. um, and it's all animated as if their game were completely real, like the mm-hmm. you know, um, cardboard tube that you just picked up is now actually a sword. The the you know me pretending to be you know this giant beast hmm. chasing my brother around now that's actually what you know they look like it's it's really okay. uh it's really cool um yeah yeah and and because it's kind of um like i was saying kind of built in these vignettes like just a little thing here and there it's it's pretty easy to just you know play a little chunk of it set it down uh, I think it works really well. I, I'm playing it on the Switch, um, and it, it works really well for that platform. Um, I was kind of worried about getting a adventure game on something other than PC. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just want it to point and click. Yeah. Like it's, it seems like I'm gonna want to point and click this thing, but right. it works, it works really well with 
you know, a gamepad to, to move you around and Dope. interact with. It, it, it works just fine like that, and I think it's really suited for, um, for the Switch as far as, like I was saying, that kind of bite-sized nature to how pick it's up and then broken put down up. and pick up and put yeah. down. Yeah. Dope. Yeah, I'm, def- I'm definitely going to have to check that one out. That one looks awesome. So. Yeah, I've been, I've been having a lot of fun with it. That's awesome. I think that's a great game to play while you have COVID. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, we don't have any back end of the show stuff today, so I mean, that's that's pretty much the show right there. All right. It is. I just want to say though, um, most of us do podcasting head on. Me and Josh both do it though. Shay, you don't. Y- your face, when I see it, is actually kind of an angle. Yeah. And. If I had artistic ability, I would draw your profile as a podcaster. As a model, all podcasters follow. You look like a goddamn Olympus of fucking <laughs> podcasting. You figured the secret. Just move your camera somewhere yeah, else. No, it, the rest of us schlubs are kind of looking down at a webcam with a you know i'm looking i'm looking up at quad, look, quadruple chin somehow i like, look like, i look like shit enough like shay's like look like a greek fucking god <laughs> thank you that's that's the only compliment i've ever gotten about that ever i, I never expected that thank you I see your we, we, we didn't like, want to draw attention to our deficiencies as an audio podcast yeah. <laughs> like listen for those of you want a video podcast like be prepared to pay a Patreon tier just to get to look upon Shay's countenance for like 30 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be wow, I, fucking that, honored. That made my day, man. Thank you. <laughs> Seriously, thank you. Every single time. You know, like I gotta say, this is, a, this is actually the first time that I've actually... Yeah. I've, Josh, you will know this, that I've ever done a podcast with you two and rich that Shay didn't have some weird lag thing because he's a fucking 15,000 miles away in Japan. Yeah. 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 Rich and I told you that it usually wasn't that bad and you didn't believe us because it's been horrible every it, time it, no, we've just, you on. Just by fucking like, oh, what the fuck? Every single time. Like, it's a Shay fucking pauses for like nine minutes. So it's like, I, I actually like screenshotted his face and it just looks like <laughs> it it just looks like a Greek god in the minute they <laughs> don't want to be seen. <laughs> yep. yep. Every other yep. time he's been on there he's thought that uh Shay was actually a uh, a Minecraft character. Yeah, exactly. I was, I was like, <laughs> are you like a Roblox avatar being controlled <laughs> by one of Josh's kids? <laughs> My, I, I, my, I know how to, I had no real, like, chance for truth here because Josh wouldn't tell me yes or no. He's kind of a dick about it. Josh, he likes to keep my privacy. Is, is Josh, is one of your kids fucking Roblox avatars? Just be like, uh, the world's a weird place now, bro. <laughs> <laughs> he likes to keep privacy. Yeah, and I respect he, that. Keep, keep, keep. Keep kayfabe. I, I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Well, thank you for that. That that made my day. I'm gonna walk through the rest of the day happy about that. Yeah, I you be like, that. I look like a Greek god. You're like, I'm Japan. That doesn't mean shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, uh, no joke. I, I've told the guys about this. Uh, um, 
I, one of my former students, she wanted to interview me. She's in college now for nursing. And she wanted to interview me about healthcare and how Japanese and U.S. healthcare um, compare and contrast. And it, not to talk more about politics and shit no, like that, but keep going. What, one of the yeah, things after the main... Favorably. Con- <laughs> <laughs> sort of a binary after, state. Yeah. Right. After, after the conversation, we were just like catching up and stuff like that. And um, we were just talking about just all sorts of random shit. And it got on the conversation of like... Um, her like going out on dates and stuff like that and we didn't get too much into it obviously probably not wanting to talk to a former teacher about that but and we were like talking about she had asked me um i'd asked her and there there are other people present as well we were all just kind of having this group conversation we were talking about like our types of people that we like and she had mentioned that she likes people with like soft faces and that's more like the k-pop face um, that is really popular right now because um, I guess sharper faces can yeah, be you BTS motherfucker. <laughs> I'm not a sh- I'm not a softer face guy. No, no, I'm, yeah, a I'm, I'm looking at you right now. You don't, you do not have a soft face. Like you you would open a can on your chin. <laughs> You're damn right about that. No, no dude, uh, I, I gotta say it's getting me going. I'm gonna take my shorts off right now. <laughs> Uh, yeah but like <laughs> the 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 sharper face is not as um it's like real like really hit or really miss here in japan so mm. yeah you're right i would not be called a greek god by anybody here so thank you i mean i'm a greek god but maybe but they'd be like that's not what we want apollo's cool but not on the up up and up list right Right. I mean, let's call exactly. it. Like, I'm not a person called it. I have no idea how you guys call it on the fucking Chompcast. I don't listen to you guys. You guys suck. Let's We're call the it Chompcast. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like that. Here's how it actually goes. Yeah, if you want more content, if you want to listen to people <laughs> who like Richard Nixon fucking eating the ass of Osama bin Laden, come to listen to the fucking Chompcast. <laughs> <laughs> like something like that. Yeah. But if you want more content from us, head over to swordchomp.com where we have mo- multiple podcasts that you can check out. Most of it is centered around video gaming, um, such as a spoiler cast. Rich and Friends, including Ray, does one on uh, historical importance of games. I do one where I interview devs about the history and creation of their games. You can check those out. Um, we have an article section where we review games and we do think pieces and we do sometimes do the occasional guide. Uh, that that is a lot of what Ray does. No, 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 to no, 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 fuck that. No, fuck that. I'm gonna stop you right now. You say the occasional guide. I'm gonna stop you every second of every day. It, I, Joshua Feller, fucking translate a fucking language. Stop saying anyone did anything for a guide. It's like okay, Ray did, Ray put in ten minutes for a guide. Joshua Fowler translated a fucking language. That fucking yeah. Ray's a lazy fuck. <laughs> Joshua. <laughs> Joshua translated That's, a language. I'll, I'll update the bio on the site just so it's. I should no. <laughs> I don't have a bio right now at all. Just say like, oh, that's true. We need to get Ray a bio. Get, mm-hmm. Give me a bio that says Ray occasionally writes things, but Joshua translated a whole language like a boss. Yeah, I'm not kidding. I'm not you're kidding. No, you're if you 
if you give me anything that puts <sighs> in the idea that I did anything about what Josh did translating that language, I was so fucking mad. <laughs> And I want all this in the podcast, actually. (laughs) Oh, it'll be it'll be there because like we take every chance we can to. No, because I I cannot take every chance possible to plug the fact that Joshua Fowler translated that fucking tunic language. Yeah, it's insane. Like when I finally played tunic a few weeks ago. I that's like no, it's spent a few minutes just talking about that. No, looking ahead is guys right up there with the first time I was a teenager in 1997 looking up Final Fantasy 7 game facts. Or... Yep. It's right up there. You, you remember the first time you came across a guide with God-tier ASCII art? Yeah, exactly. Just, you know, you're selling yourself, <laughs> and you're right. You're fucking right. No, I was, I, yeah. was, I was just like, that's an actual thing. I miss that. No, I miss it... ASCII art. Kids, this was back when the internet didn't really have the bandwidth to transmit Anything other than raw text, in, no, in order to make uh, it look that's decent. That's what you're talking about. Now and, I know. Yeah, and, ASCII yeah. art. And this is use, just use saying ASCII characters to. This is try just to make saying the like world something. deserved less than you, which it did. <laughs> because, <laughs> <laughs> like, no, like what Josh did is fucking nuts. Like I, yeah, I, I still haven't played Tunic. I still can't get over what I see there. Wait till you do play Tunic, because then it puts no, it like, I'm ready to like, take my head to fucking throw it against the wall, be like, Josh, you, you, you motherfucker. You really don't need to go that deep on it to, uh... No, but, you to, know... To get stuff out of Tunic. No, but... Is, yeah. I get that, but you deserve it. Because okay. the depth you went to does fucking... Take a game that's well-made, deconstructed, and form a guide that was just as well-made. You deserve a spot on like an internet celebrity. Like, this is a game that is worth remembering, and in the same vein, you are worth remembering for what you did for the post game of it. Yes, and I that that I agree really much. I very much believe that what you did here was like when when people first translate Mother Three. Mm. Like, mm. I no, I'm putting it in the same vein. And tra- yeah. translation, I know, is its own oh, science. Goodness. I know it's localization's own science. But you put so much work into this that years from now, Joshua Fowler deserves to be credited with. I played Tunic two, and because I looked up this Tunic one shit, I understood this shit in Tunic two. <laughs> That's an interesting concept. If a second one comes out, no, how much I'm, more I'm relevant okay. that guide will be. No, your your guide should be completely relevant because their fucking made up language should be fucking built on that, on what Josh did, his work. Yeah, that's a no brainer to me. I yeah, that's fair. That's fair, Josh. I know you have a hard time taking no, compliments. You, so. it, it, yeah, you, your second shit. Take the compliment. Fucking throw up wherever you're going. <laughs> yeah, I was yeah, no, to find exactly. Some of my notes. <laughs> no, and you know, what? if he wants to, to hold up his notes, that's actually all the fucking. Again, I, that was better. that was the part that I haven't done because I actually, I saw some people where I had already made, made image versions of the thing. Yeah. So I didn't 
upload that as well because people with you know better photoshop skills already did that part yeah oh yeah yeah they're better at 30 seconds but uh (laughs) anyway yeah no dude you killed it josh yeah there's there's Dude, some of my notes for trying so to decipher and that, Dude, that's the thing characters. i have never played this game i cannot stress enough how much work you put into this like this is this is marco fucking polo work like yeah you, you gotta send me a, a picture of that josh so i can get that up no, on social no media. this should literally be digitized for the video game history foundation that would actually be yeah i'm, I'm not kidding <laughs> okay i'm actually not kidding That'd be cool. No, but they're kind of messy. I don't. That's okay. I don't give a fuck if you're messy. Fucking load it up. Because it was fucking, yeah, pres- it was, <laughs> a fucking lot of preservation. It was trying to figure out the language, but also <laughs> trying to figure out puzzles at the same time. So it's just got notes. Oh, that's okay. Like, that's it the whole fucking. That's unrelated. Point, you, that's uh. That's all fucking point, you idiot. It's like fucking preservation. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to figure out what the heck this was until I realized. It was it was the diagram for some sound uh, traps that I was see, planning a build for this no, room. You're, you're saying, uh, yeah. And it was completely unrelated. I'm like, what the heck was this puzzle? And I'm like, oh, <laughs> oh, no, no, that's that's supposed to go on my wall. Everything you just held <laughs> up should be scanned and given to the Video Game Preservation Foundation. Do it, Josh. Because oh, no, my I, goodness. I'm I'm not even kidding. Like the work you did that was linguistics work on par with the people who figured out the code of fucking Hammurabi. <laughs> Damn. I'm not kidding. Uh, That's linguistics. Linguistics is a fucking science. Josh, have you ever gotten more praise for something you've ever done in your life than this one no. tunic guide? Because it's, I mean, you deserve, like, Ray's you, right, you deserve well, You deserve actually, every yeah, moment no, of a, it. A couple other times were, anyway. No, like, I'm serious. For, you deserve anyway. every moment of it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This. Th- yeah. Anyway, I had an art teacher in high school trick me into entering a competition that I didn't mean to. Um, yeah, and so yeah, I, I've always hated this crap. So. No, but but the fact yeah. you followed through with this, so like you, f- yeah. you figured it out. You made the pages. Like you, yeah. your work deserves to be remembered. Agreed. Josh, okay. please hold on. Please send me a photo. The, the, that's of that. a, the, that's my cap okay. off to. The, we're talking about this whole preservation bullshit. Yep. I'm gonna tell you right now. Josh's work on Tunic is a prime example of what a modern game does to a community and deserves preservation. I I, I don't disagree with you at all. I agree with you. And he, Josh, Josh is looking around like, what the fuck? He knows, like, what the fuck? You're right. <laughs> <laughs> Josh he, just doesn't take compliments he, he, well. No, that's the thing. He fucking hates it because he knows I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's fair. Um, besides articles, what else? Merchandise. Uh, store.storechomp.com if you want to check out some of... Uh, the stuff you can purchase there and rep and let us know if you pick up anything and we'll oh, post yeah. about it on social media. And the last thing I got to say is patreon.com slash swordchomp, which is good because it helps fund us making more content. We are 100% listener funded. So 
Um, if you want to check that out and support us, please feel free to. But that's going to do it for this awesome episode. I want to say thank you first to Ray for filling in for uh, Rich, who is on vacation this week. Um, on, did a fantastic on job. Vacation. His whole life is a vacation. <laughs> Lazy bastard. Right. Right. Uh, I want to say thank you to Josh for being here despite being sick. Um, thank you for toughing it out, buddy. I also, know how difficult that can him be. being sick and mm. being here, but also presenting the most worthwhile thing for video game preservation in the last five <laughs> years. Oh my god. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <sighs> thank you, Josh, for your, okay. your double duty. Um, I was your host, Shay. We will be back next week with another episode of the Charmcast. Thank you so much. Take care.